Hello and welcome to the Third Space Podcast, episode 36, Covidio Games. Covidio Games. It's about COVID and video games. Those are the two main topics we talk about in this episode. Actually, before we get to those two main topics, we start off talking a little bit about word recall. Daniel introduces me to what is apparently a popular game called Wordle, and we talk about how the brain or the mind recalls words by the first letter or the first sound. Why isn't it recall by the last sound? How do we index words? We speculate about that a little bit. We talk about my recent ski trip, uh, just a one-day ski trip. And then we spend the bulk of the podcast talking about our holiday experiences, the two primary ones uh, of which were uh, getting COVID. Both Daniel and I got COVID. Um, and we also played a lot of VR on his new Oculus Quest 2. Uh, we got to hang out in person over the holidays. Um, so we talk a lot about uh, the VR experience. It was mostly my first real VR experience, some of the games we play, likes, dislikes, the hardware, the software. And then on COVID, we talk about um, both of our experiences, and then we complain uh, or at least question for a while the state of the world for the past couple of years and how we've reacted to COVID. So it's kind of a continuation of the podcast we had a while back after Daniel got his vaccine. So if you're easily triggered by COVID discussion, you may want to tune out for that last part of the podcast. But hopefully you're a rational human being and will want to stick around and listen, even if you don't agree. On that note, we'll let the podcast begin. Please enjoy. Hey, hello. Hi, Bennett. Hello. Hi. Hello, Daniel. All right. Third space. It's it's, it's been a second since I've been in, or, or three, been, since I've been, been a, in third space. It's been a year. Yeah. <sighs> Oh well. Been 2021. It's been a year. It's been a year. And here I we am are. I'm right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. Right. Am I right? That's it. That's it. That's the phrase. Am I right? 2021. Wow. Uh, um. How's uh, how's how's your year going so far? 2022. 2022 is going well. Um. You know, right before we jumped on to do this podcast. I text you to do the daily wordle. That's something I've discovered. The, oh, yeah. the wordle. And now I've uh, discovered it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how viruses work. You know, I, when things go virus or whatever. <laughs> I feel like and I crushed I, this one. Honestly. Uh, they weren't ready for me in the UK. I think this is a UK thing. Yeah. It, well, it, it's, Pretty basic. I mean, if you recall, there was a game show called Lingo, and it would uh, yeah. give you the first letter of five words, and then you would know, uh, you would guess, so let's just take the word Lingo, L-I-N-G-O, and it, L would be up there, and then if you guessed, I don't know. Um, Lasagna. Well, that's not five letters, so. <laughs> Lunge. Lunch. It would, lunch, okay, then it would, you know, the L would obviously be the lit up green and the N would be lit up green and that would be it. And then you would go to the next. So, you know, green being in the correct letter in the correct space and yellow being the correct letter, but incorrect space. Right. And so it's just a simple little word game, except to the difference with Wordle. And I think that's brilliance is that you get one a day. It's the same puzzle for everybody, um, I believe. I'll, I'll ask you mm-hmm. about yours. Um, and and you don't get the first letter. So I've come up with two words that I like to start with. Uh, one is audio, 
just That's a lot good. of vowels. Ob- and, and the other one is early. Um, hmm. So I just stand by either of those as strong starting words, uh, uh, possibly you, one and two. So Yeah, you were more strategic um, than, than I was. I just was like, what's a five-letter word? Chair. <laughs> and I tried chair. That was the first five-letter word that came to my mind. And I was really lucky you got this three, time. Yeah, yes, I you got, got the same word. That's a, that's a very lucky one. I got the, fir- the first letter, C, and then I got yeah. yellow, I, and R. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's the, getting the first letter is a godsend, right? That, that right. So I mean, much. that's... And so Lingo then, is not a difficult word game. I mean, they go through it di- many times. Getting the first letter just helps you. Uh, other than that, you're. St- I mean, because the puzzle. I don't know the way our brain works, but I know that having that first letter in any sort of word game is, soup like super super helpful. Whether it's text twist or any other sort of scramble, like getting the first one's well, like. That's actually an a good question. Benefit. How how does our brain work in word recall? I won't claim to know the answer, but I can. I can kind of talk a little bit about how I think my brain works. So like, I, I do tend to really remember first letters, or at least the first phonetic sound of a word. Um, and so like when I'm trying to recall a word and I'm thinking or whatever, it's almost as if saying or thinking about that first syllable or the first phoneme or whatever it is of the word, it it calls to mind all of the words that I know that start with that same sound and I can kind of you know iterate through them or or maybe a light bulb will go off and I'll be like oh chair that's the word I was looking for <laughs> and but but if it's not if if I'm if I don't have the first sound of the word then it's much harder like it's I mean it's it's almost a huge gap in difficulty different like if I have the last part it ends in ly then can I conjure to mind all the words that I know that end in L-Y? No, it doesn't work that way, which is strange, but it's there's like a, a procedural sort of um, order-based index to memory or something. Like <laughs> I, I really, I agree with you, and I would imagine almost everyone's had some experience where like, oh, what's the word? I think it starts with a B, and you're not quite sure why you're sure the word starts with a B, um, and you'll just be looking for it and, and I've been wrong before where I'm, I'm wrong about the first letter and then when they finally when the person does help me discover whatever word I was thinking of it was it was dissatisfying it's like ah I guess that was it but man I thought it started with a B yeah. uh, but more times than not I'm, I'm right not only I'll go a step further not only I would say the first thing I need for my word recall is the first letter or sound I should say mm-hmm. and then oftentimes I'll be vaguely uh, an oddly correct about how many syllables it will be. <laughs> so I might not know the middle parts, uh, but I'll be like, I think it's two syllables and starts with a C. <laughs> so yeah. kind of a strange, I, I don't know what's going on, but there is some insight. And my yeah, yeah. mind went straight to that meme that goes around that says, um, how can you read this? The words are all scrambled. A yeah. scientist from Harvard says... That as long as the first letters and the last letters are in the correct spot, the middle don't matter because we don't actually read every word. Now, that's with reading and not word recall, but I would still suggest... Do you know what I'm talking about? Where yeah, it's all scrambled and it actually is easy to read? Yes. And, and uh, I mean, the fact that it is easy to read, they act yeah. like it was completely scrambled. If you go back and study that little piece, or I, I have, like they put... They scrambled it, yes, but it seems strategically scrambled, and yes, it was helped. Like the vowels seem to be in generally the right 
syllable put so hard. I don't I, know. It I was have just some not completely I have, scramble. I have a little bit of insight into this, um, just from what I've read or heard. And actually, it, I'm taking. I'm currently taking a cognitive science course. Um, That's cool. Which is all. It's all about you know how we think, how the mind works, cognition. It's like the uh, the the course description described it as. Uh, an interdisciplinary field that's the overlap of linguistics, psychology, AI, um, uh, anthropology, sociology, uh, and like a couple other things. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> education. I'm like, I'm interested in all of these things. Yeah, so, honestly, all of those sound right up your philosophy, alley. Philosophy. That was too. another one. Yeah. Philosophy was the other one. I think there were seven <laughs> seven disciplines that it, you know, they they claimed to. Uh, Wait. So what's the course title? Um, co- cognitive science. Yeah. Yeah. So brain science. brain stuff how you think well it's yeah. it's real i like it because n- no one teaching the course and no one knows the answers no one goes this is how it works it's all theory because we you know it's all mystery um it's the biggest mystery facing humanity you know there's outer space the deep oceans and then you know, the mind and consciousness yeah yeah and, and I imagine so, the hard data we have is based on polls or like almost uh the data is going to be, we. here is the data. We don't know why it's this way. We don't know why 70% of people think through word recall in the first letter, but, but but that's happening. So now let's theorize based on other information we know. Yeah, yeah, they have to do you know psychological experiments with people to try to understand. First, they need to just observe their behavior and gather data. Okay, this many people do this, and this smaller subset of people do this. What does that mean? That's and that's where they are. And right. you know, now they try to get into like, you know, with the neurobiology side of things, they try to do brain scans and figure out, you know, which areas of the brain activate when you mental mentally visualize, you know, a leaky faucet or something like that. And they figure out which parts of your brain are or imagine taking the letter R and turning it upside down and then removing the round part of it. What does it look like? Oh, which areas of your brain are lit up when you do that on yeah. the brain scan. And you can get some information from that that's interesting, and you can try to correlate between, you know, different tasks. But, you know, one of my gripes, uh, I roll my eyes whenever I see someone use brain scans as evidence for anything just because, you know, it's not <laughs> it's not a perfect science, so to speak. Like, if there are inaccuracies, the 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 brain is buried underneath the skull. It's extremely hard to measure. Then there's the question of what is it we're actually measuring? It's electric potentials. How do we translate that into useful information? Like really difficult stuff that is a, there's a lot of guesswork in there. So I, I, I am always very skeptical of anyone claiming that brain scans actually tell us something. Now, you, you can correlate things and make some guesses that are interesting, and that's what these people do with um, trying to figure out you know, is your visual center activated when you're recalling words or something like that? And that's, that's interesting. I can understand why you'd be frustrated in the sense that like a layman like me is going to hear some pop science article about the, the brain of a serial killer. And I'm just going to say, well, oh, that's crazy that you can just scan someone's brain and know that they're a serial killer. <laughs> and it, there's something wildly simplistic and, and titillating about that idea. Um, or even you hear, and uh, I can't remember on the spot, there's supposed to be the big, there's three things that, uh, that overlap frequently with serial killers. You know, they kill small animals when they're younger. 
which seems fairly obvious and not hard to make a connection. But one of them was wet- wetting the bed. I'm pretty sure, like later than is typical for someone. Mm. Um, and so, but but like that correlation, it's like I want to know more about that. Does it just mean that you're? What if the what if the real correlation was that those with difficult childhoods tend to wet the bed later? You know what I'm saying? Like so, like bad pain. I don't know that. I don't know if that's true or not. But I, it just seems to me peeing in your bed and serial killing like there's some correlation that's not certainly not causation. There's something sillier going on, or maybe maybe we're misapplying the bed wetting overlap. I don't know. Yeah, I've not, um, I've not heard that, and I don't know what. You know, I don't know. What I've heard of it, like, the big three. I bet you could, the big three behaviors of serial killers are something like it's a it's it's touted as like this this thing. I don't know. I wish I had done the research before launching into this conversation. But yeah, like what well, bedwetting? I'm pretty sure is one. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean that sounds bizarre. Like the the only thing, <laughs> I mean the most shaky, tenuous link I can think is that you know you. If it if you wet the bed late enough that you begin to become embarrassed by it and insecure about it, then you know you internalize that and it causes your development to go wildly off track. But that seems so far fetched. Yeah. Oh, I look here it is. Okay, I just googled uh, the big three serial killer to see what would come up as three signs, and I'm not going to read the article, but at least I found the three. It's animal okay. cruelty bedwetting and fire setting and then like is it accurate and it goes into the social learning theory behind why they think that and all but so yeah bringing to mind the time that i peed on my dog and then set it on fire to cover up the evidence (laughs) (laughs) oh man yeah that's but that's perfectly normal behavior that doesn't mean you're that doesn't fit fit exactly Yeah, but but uh, violence and uh, fire setting, which I'm going to put in, under the umbrella of violence. I just I don't get. Yeah, the sure. Whole... Cruelty to animals shows you know low low empathy or you know a a low um, or a great tolerance for causing suffering to someone else. And setting fire to things shows either a fascination with destruction or a disregard for you know, destruction and property. So. This this has a couple of sentences that it says bedwetting that continues after five years old for a number of months was thought by McDonald to be linked to the same feelings of humiliation that could bring on the other tri- uh, triad triad of behaviors of animal cru- uh, cruelty and fire setting. Bedwetting is part of a cycle that may exacerbate feelings of humiliation when the child feels they're in trouble uh, for or embarrassed by wetting the bed. Okay, uh, so I was, my guess was on to it as far as what that guy is saying. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, basically, 2022 has been a good year with yeah, Wordle. Been pretty good so far. Man, I, <laughs> I got to tell you, I, I nailed the Wordle. I got chair, and then I went cribs, and then crimp, and that was the answer. Crimp. Nailed it. Three. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to play um, anymore so that now that can... <laughs> you're one for one. You're done. So that's another part of the... So the brilliance, why has this thing gone viral? I've asked myself that. Like, what makes this different than lingo? That was an online... I mean, excuse me, a... a TV show in the like early mid 2000s but also I believe has a you know certainly online games and stuff so why is this why do things go viral and we've discussed this before personalities or shows or whatever I mean there's some there's some I'm I'm less interested in the luck factor we all agree there's a huge luck factor but what is the draw that 
what nugget of wisdom or what what thing does it possess that is captivating people? Mm-hmm. And so I actually think I I get bombarded with so much. There's so many fun games and stuff, and there's like we have an overload for sure. Just whether it's information or entertainment and all of that. But Wordle, it's one. It's just one. Um, when I play Text Twist or any other word game, I have this temptation to want to solve the. With Text Twist, it's a word scramble game, and you find all the other the smaller words in it as well. Mm-hmm. So you get seven or eight letters, or five or six, or whatever the word de- it depends. And I just want to solve the long one. I'm not interested in finding the word and in you know sand. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <but> like, <laughs> Man, you're a text twist master. You must be so good at that. But I just want to get the full word and I want to move on. And then I, I ultimately, text twist, I suppose, leaves me dissatisfied because it's this timed thing. I solve some of the words and I either just get bored and move on or I don't solve the long word and I'm done. And then, But Wordle's going to keep me coming back. There's no rush. It's just one word a day. Um there's a like, social component because you can talk about the day's puzzle with... You right, know, it has a people. share thing. where I, I was seeing it pop up all over Facebook is how I discovered it. And then when I Googled Wordle, there was like... I mean, even like the New York Times had written an article about, wow, the, the creator of this like is overwhelmed with its popularity and all of this. And so... Um, and, yeah, and that just seems like luck factor. <laughs> like so much totally luck factor. Because it's and, so simple. But that's but because of its simplicity, because it's only one word a day, and because and so now I'm using it in my English classroom as they're walking in, and I'm taking role and greeting people. Look, okay, so there's there's a, a edu jargon. There's a term like bell ringers. Like, what are you doing at the beginning of class and make it meaningful? Um, it's aspirational to me, and ideally, yeah, like okay, you have some journal prompt on the board ready for them to come in and engage in meaningful work but isn't necessarily going to be the most difficult intellectual task of the day because they've just walked in the room but like how miserable to me i just try to be cognizant of the fact that we do live in like i was just saying this fast-paced society kids are going from class to class to class and i think their educational experience is different than even mine in high school where like they're expected to use their computer most of the time in most classes and it's just a lot of consumption and processing and all of this so i don't want to lose the art of just greeting someone and saying hello at the beginning of class i don't want to lose the human factor of just hey how you doing i don't know just welcome like let's slow down for a second uh, yeah and in fact well, i find them might as well savor that human interaction while you can before the robots <laughs> before start the teaching. robots <laughs> so, so i'm enjoying my human moment and and i'm having them do wordle and uh because what it takes two to three minutes and that means realistically when you have 17 19 kids come in in your class it takes two or three minutes between the first and last person coming in you know all at different times so um so that just has settled that for me as far as like here's something nice for me to take role and they have something to do um yeah i don't know yeah uh, I like it. I like it. I like word games, just in general. It's my favorite kind of game, pretty much. So, thank you for uh, telling me about Wordle. I'll probably yeah. play it more. Yeah, once a day, anyway. Maybe. We'll, we'll see. I really did like Lingo, so Lingo is more my style because it's a whole show. It's a whole 30-minute show of these things where I can 
say where I can beat the people on the show sometimes. Yeah, and the most are pretty bad, and uh, and I get oh, furious when they when they can't solve a word, and I get I curse more than I typically <laughs> ever would at that show. I mean, I remember the anger I would get. Well, isn't it isn't it like, funny how there are certain things, little innocuous things that just make you curse like nothing else like the funniest one to me is like when i'm playing some you know cutesy nintendo game or something and, <laughs> and die or furious you know, at a particular like frog or something yeah, located some, at this particular goom- part of the level yeah, a goomba a goomba. or whatever <laughs> and it's just like you it's such a funny thing to say <laughs> i know it's really funny uh, out of context, but those uh, phrases would be really funny. It is a unique flash anger. I mean, I would compare it to, say, driving, you know, um, road rage or something like that. And I suppose it is. It's just the uniqueness of lingo when I have, you're like, in my mind, I've solved the word or I've gotten a good guess. And I'm watching them go, um, um, and then they don't know what to say or they guess a terrible word or they don't see the answer. Uh, it's safe to judge them because I don't, it's just a word. It's just like a show that's been off the air and I'm watching reruns. Even if we're on the air, the safety of watching someone on TV and sort sure. of poking fun, I'm not like being a jerk to another human being. It's just, sure, just a sure. TV moment. So I'm allow, I allow myself the full like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and it just happens and it's almost a cathartic sort of anger uh, because it's a, it's a total righteous anger, obnoxious, like, I know something, you don't, you idiot. And so that feels satisfying on some level that's, you know, not healthy to engage in too often. <laughs> sure, right. <laughs> um, my 2022 is going pretty pretty swell so far. I, I went skiing yesterday. Ah, uh, man, I want to know all about that. Um, there's, not a whole, <laughs> there's not too much to tell, but uh, I... You know, I live relatively close to a little ski location, about 35 minutes away, and it snowed the other day a few inches, and so I was like, oh, I bet the skiing is decent, so I drove up there and skied, and it was a lot of fun. Skied all day. How (laughs) good of a workout is ski? Yeah, I was going to ask it. It's a good workout, I imagine. You're sort of squatting, but like, if you're good at skiing, you you know how to do it in a way, like, I imagine a new skier is going to be far more exhausted after a few hours than a, a, you know, an expert skier. So, uh, probably, probably so. I don't know if you're brand new and all you're doing is doing the pizza, you know? Yeah, you're kind of straining. I'm at, you're just going to be tight. Like every little muscle, you're just freaking out. Like there is some, there, there might be some of the nervousness, you know, clenching, but when you, when you're doing that, when you're doing the, they call it snow plow or pizza where you turn your skis in a V so that you go slow, you're not going very fast. And so. You're not getting bumped around that much. You just have to hold your legs in that position. And that's, you know, that can be a little tiring. But when you, and and probably, like you say, when you're really good, you know, you've learned the efficiency of motion so that you don't wear yourself out so much. Um, And and so that's probably not as exhausting. But I I wonder if when you're in the middle, kind of like where I am, like I'm not a beginner, but I'm also far from an expert. Like I'm going fast. And my form probably isn't exactly right. And if it's choppy snow and I'm like trying to keep my knees bent to absorb the shock, but I'm going fast and I'm like back and forth trying to maintain my speed. Like, yeah. man, it, it, it was pretty It's beating tiring. you up in a way too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Well, and then I like, did... the, you can't underestimate also the amount of arm 
workout that you get pushing yourself along with the poles. Like if you get on a in a spot where you have to, you know, push your push yourself up a little bit of a hill, um, or if there's like a uh, a run that kind of goes flat for a while and you have to push yourself along, which there were a few like that at this place, and I was like having to just, uh, just push myself along with the poles. Uh, and my arms are sore today. <laughs> What's your overall satisfaction when compared? You've been skiing in Canada and Telluride and some of the better skiing places. So this is now, you know, you live in a new place and this is right by you and this is not going to be yeah, it's not that a, level. So, it, so it's, it, not, it's not a vac. This place isn't a vacation destination, really, so to speak. Um, yeah. I mean, it is a ski resort, but I don't, you know, if you're going to travel somewhere to ski, you're probably not going to, to this place where I went. Um, and there are a couple of vacation destination resorts that are just a little bit further um, that you could go to, but not this place. But that said, it was still quite good. I was pleased. It exceeded my expectations. I expected it to be a small, a relatively small hill with you know a, a dozen runs or something, and there were more right. than that. There were a few dozen. And, you know, it had a big chairlift, it had four lifts, you know, um, four chairlifts and went up fairly high and it was, it was fun. Um, it didn't have Here. any, it, it was actually really great to me because it didn't have any crazy runs, double blacks or anything like that. It only had a handful of black, black diamond runs, which are the hardest, well, double mm. black diamond is the hardest. And then black diamond is for advanced skiers. It only had a handful of those and the rest were blue and green, which are the not uh, the intermediate and novice levels, and so I I basically didn't pay any attention to the difficulty of the runs I was going on. I just skied. I was like, oh, that looks cool. I'll go over there. Oh, that looks cool. I'll go over there. And it it it, it also helped because they had hardly any signs, so I couldn't tell where I was. <laughs> so. Are you comfortable doing a black diamond? Um, yeah, I can I can I can manage. Um. But I really it get I, scary if it's over your head, you know. It, yeah, it can. I pr- I like blues. That's my favorite. If there's a nice long, scenic blue, that me that that means you're gonna get some speed, and you're probably going through um, the forest. Not like winding through individual trees, but you know the run winds through the woods. There was one like that at this place that was just really great. Um, the black diamonds. I hate moguls. Moguls are these little hills um little hills that are just all down the face of whatever run you're going on and you kind of have to bounce back and forth over the top of them they suck i mean i guess i've never learned how to do it correctly so that's probably a big reason of why they suck but man it's a huge amount of work there weren't any runs with moguls on them at this place that that i saw the blacks were just kind of either steep or went through you know went through the trees Um, yeah when i think of skiing i uh in, in my book, it's sort of a high-end luxury vacation and activity because in order the access, right? It doesn't snow everywhere, so you can have these elite little ski towns that are pricey, and then and then skis are super expensive, and then you buy a pass just to go up and down the mountain. You know, all of it's just prohibitively expensive in a lot of ways. But then, just like any activity, there's going to be uh, a range within that so I don't know what like the redneck of skiing looks like you know like like I think of like the the low end like Walmart version of skiing which I guess probably just doesn't exist because like I said it's a higher end or does it because I was I was interested if you saw the 
with, with the clientele, like you're sort of like, you know, <laughs> like I'm just trying to picture like a, a nice ski resort and you can imagine all the niceties and I probably don't have to list them. And then I picture like um, uh, cartoonishly like a, a rednecky one with like a hot dog stand next to things and like uh, <laughs> like pot-bellied people, you know, wanting the, wanting their hot cocoa with extra sugar and extra marshmallows or something. I don't I don't know. Uh <laughs> Am I making any sense? Is, yeah, I was, mean, was this yeah. on the the uh, entry level version or anything like that? Um, I would not, I would not classify this as rednecky um, by any. I just stretch. imagine it actually doesn't exist. There is no actual redneck. Yeah, version. I think it's... the redneck version of skiing is like looking in your shed for some two by fours and then going <laughs> going out to the snowy hill in your yard and saying, "I wonder if I can slide down on the." You know. <laughs> yeah. Actually, actually, I think the redneck version of skiing is just sledding. You just sledding. Grab, yeah. You just grab your whatever, trash can lid. Yeah. What yeah. whatever flat vaguely slippery object you have you take it to the nearest hill jump on it and go let gravity run its course (laughs) and that can be a lot of fun but it's also you know i mean that's it's kind of like you know inner tubing you know which you grab find a thing that floats tie it to the back of your boat and then go like you know it's like it's a very rednecky idea skiing is a rednecky idea when you think about it like really strap some planks to your feet and then slide down a snowy hill it's kind of crazy when you think about it it is wild that that's what you're doing and then and you go yeah. fast you get going fast but it, but yeah anyway this place i would not classify it as rednecky it you know it was a smaller place so it wasn't you know there weren't hotels and everything you you drive up into the mountains and there's a little ski shop there's a lodge um, and the lodge was just like a, a really large two-story building with a little cafe in it that, that had cheeseburgers and hot dogs and chicken fingers and stuff. You know, basically just for people to get lunch when they're yeah. skiing. Um, and lots of picnic tables for seating in there so that everyone could have all their gear and sit and eat. And then a couple of other little auxiliary buildings for, I guess, like ski patrol and first aid or something. I don't know. Just a few other little buildings. And that was it. Um, and then the lifts, and and that was all there was. So it, it wasn't like it was a little town. It wasn't a ski town up there. Like, you know, when we went to Telluride, you had the city oh, of Telluride so yep, yeah. down, and then you could take the lift up, and there was, what was it called? Like Mountain Valley or Mountain View? I or, forget the name, but it was cool. Some Mountain restaurants. Village, it was beautiful. Was, yeah. And, and there were there was a little little town up on the mountain that it wasn't like that here so maybe that's the distinction um, but like the clientele didn't seem I mean they didn't stand out to me as any particular you know I couldn't stereotype them Every, everyone that I rode the lift with was you know friendly and I would ask them how's your skiing going this is my first time here blah 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 and we have a little conversation and everyone was really nice. And there were no, I didn't see any pot-bellied people getting yeah. super marshmallow hot cocoa or anything. I mean, all that description was poor. I was just going, hmm, what, what could it look like? like? They have just cheap skis. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I can't even, dis- I don't, can't distinguish cheap skis. So right, I mean, maybe, that's the thing, maybe, everyone, like your ski masks from a distance aren't going to look any better or worse, you know. Yeah. Maybe I'm stuff. the redneck skier. Maybe that's why I'm having difficulty here. <laughs> maybe so, because you're just going to go buy like... A jacket that I don't know, like you have a North Face jacket, so like yeah, I mean, that'll I guess do. Now for that you. I think about it, my ski getup is like pretty, 
mismatched. You know, it's not like I went to the ski shop and said, I'll take one of your ski get-ups um, where I get the, <laughs> you know, the color-coordinated pants and jacket yeah. and helmet and goggles and gloves and all that. I have, like, some ski bibs that I got from a friend in high school. I have gloves that, that are not ski gloves particularly, I don't think, and they don't really match. Um, they're blue and <laughs> they're the just pants gloves. are black. I have, I mean, they're kind of water-resistant gloves that are really yeah. warm, so they're fine for skiing. And then I have a, a North Face jacket, like you mentioned, and just like a normal sock cap and, I, and some ski goggles. But none of them are of a set. They're all just pieces that I've brought together into, oh, this is what I'll wear skiing. But it was fine. I mean, I, Maybe that is the takeaway. Maybe you, yeah, maybe you're the redneck. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I just maybe. don't know enough about the culture of like, or how to spot that. Or if there is a, the, the, I mean, when you're skiing, you're not talking, right? So there's maybe some nonverbal communication. And then obviously at the restaurant, there's going to be some socializing going on. But I imagine it's, well, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. It's I'll tell you this. That, okay. So I, I, I have a, um, an observation that suggests that I'm not on the, the bottom rung. I saw a few people in camouflage. I saw a few people in camouflage. <laughs> Surely that means I can't be the most redneck person on the slopes, right? Uh, yeah, well, that says something about camouflage, and uh, I don't know. I mean, camouflage belongs, you know, in the military and in hunting, so, uh, and perhaps not skiing. Yeah, no, I. I I don't think it belongs in skiing. In fact, I don't think you want to be in camouflage while skiing. If you were to get hurt, you kind of like to <laughs> Where not <are> be. They? <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> well, actually, actually, camouflage stands out on the white snow pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty starkly. But, but yeah, I actually, there are people wearing white, you know, white ski clothes, and it's like, man, that seems like the worst choice of color for it does, yeah, skiing. De- skiing definitively the worst. Really, really blend. But also somehow really classy and expensive. Yeah, it does seem kind of that way. Yeah, I had this interesting thought. Um, I don't know why this popped into my head, but one of the things we were planning on talk- talking about today is VR, um, since yeah. uh, we both played a lot of VR over uh, over the holidays together. Um, but you know, I was on the lift and looking, watching all these people ski below me, and they all had their goggles and their poles in their hands, and I was like, huh, what if you know they were. <laughs> I can just imagine some guy wearing uh, the Oculus um, Quest, like the white <laughs> goggles over his eyes and holding the controllers and skiing down the mountain. How funny looking that would be. Like, I wonder if you yeah, could do it. Yeah, there's something about the, the, with the control pass setup. Through, pass through mode, like some, some uh, snarky skier go out there with his Oculus Quest and ski down the mountain. It would be really funny. That is actually, it's a cool, like, scary idea and a, kind of a cool one. Um, but yeah, the Oculus Quest too. Um, yeah, I've been really enjoying it. Um, Have you been playing? So so over uh, New Year's, t- towards the end of Christmas and over New Year's, I came down and visited, and you and your girlfriend both got these. And I think actually in our last podcast we talked about it briefly, but at that point I had never really gotten to play much um, much with VR. But right. uh, but I spent a considerable amount of time playing when I was visiting with you we spent i mean we probably played i don't know what would you say 12 hours 15 hours or something something like that over the course of the entire stay so have you has it has it maintained its vibrancy have you been continuing to play it just as much uh believe it or not yes um i still have several games 
that uh, I would consider more gimmicky, not the kind that are deserving of mastery, or even ones that are just a playthrough and puzzle-based. But I've been so engrossed in Population 1 um, that... Like my interest in it is is pretty strong, and so you'll just when you. Hey, can you? What is that game? Can you describe? Okay, so Population game? One, yeah, to describe it is a battle royale type of game. So what happens is there are, I believe, six teams of three people that will uh, be dropped into a map. It's a shooting game, so you drop you you enter the arena, and everyone's on this platform, and they run toward these sort of pods that launch into the air, so there's one pod for each person, so you get in, you press the button, and it launches you, and it takes you to a predetermined destination on the map, and so it's a nice, big, giant map, and you've got different areas. You've got like a a castle, and a cemetery, and a western-themed saloon-type area, and uh, this and that, and just, there's a giant tower in the middle, and you can like when you glide anytime you put your hands to your sides and kind of forming a t-shape you will glide and fly so when you drop out of the pod you can fly and steer yourself anywhere kind of like you have a wingsuit or something and you can like a flying squirrel just kind of fly around wherever you want and you can climb and i really think this is a great idea that adds layers to combat that might not exist in other games is that you can climb anything and so when you can climb and glide you can imagine climbing up a tree or something and then gliding to a different spot um and you can also build uh walls um but apparently unlike so it's a it's a lot like fortnite uh apparently and i'm not familiar with fortnite so i can't speak to this but they can the structure building in fortnite is a little more intensive and and almost as if as if you master that, it can be silly. You can almost build a Taj Mahal really quickly. And but this is purposely designed where the walls will, uh, you know, they go away if you shoot them, and you can build them quickly and simply. But you're limited, like just like you can only build a number of tiles based on picking up a pack, and and just like when you're picking up loot and guns and ammo, to the tiles like a pack of tiles is, I believe, six. So. Uh, you're limited in that regard, so it's so it maintains its strategy of just being a place uh, you can sort of build a brief defense as you're trying to uh, eat some health, like a banana, right? So you have to peel the banana and you eat it, and it, it re- restores your health, or you shake a shaker and it restores your your uh, shield mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So it's one of these games that's reasonably easy to understand. I think someone could watch one game and go, and okay, the, the I get other- the gist. The, the other component um, of this type of uh, this battle royale genre is that there are these boundaries on the map that gradually shrink over the course of the game so that by the end there's only this tiny area and you basically have to fight it out like you can't you can't just sit out the clock and wait for the match to end. You have to. Right. You're eventually funneled into a location where you have to fight each other. And it changes every time you. So every time you jump in your pod and go somewhere, it takes you somewhere different. The pod location, the platform location, changes on the edge of the map every time. And the when the walls shrink, and this when I say walls, they're actually it's red transparent, what people call the storm. And after a minute or so, it, a, a white barrier will will. Uh, or a white line will present itself, or a square will present itself on the map. Um, mm-hmm. And the map's really important. You can pull up the map, see where you have to head, because the storm's just going to head in slowly and close in. Um, yep, and right. it takes your health away. So you can actually go in the storm strategically 
Uh, if you've killed someone and, and then they drop all their loot, you and you really want their gun, but the storm just took it, you can actually you can jump into the storm. It hurts like one health every second or so, or maybe and it, and it gets increasingly faster actually. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's part of the strategy too. <clears throat> yeah. So that I I I don't think I've ever played any another battle royale type of game, but there have been a few that have been extremely popular. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds was popular for a long time. And then Fortnite, of course, was was and still is extremely popular. Um, and those aren't VR games. They may have you may be able to play them in VR. I'm not sure, but they're not they're they're not primarily VR games. But Population One is it? It's a VR only game. I believe it's a VR only. Although I've heard, I need to look into this because one player was saying actually there's a little bit of a problem with there is a PC version and it has a feature with aiming that will kind of auto lock on to you and so there's some controversy about whether i mean that seems to create that seems to be a wildly discrepant or the discrepancy there is wildly different if they can lock on to us and we can't lock on to them you know so Mm -hmm. uh but but i don't believe i don't know that i believe that it was one kid right um and i also want to back up and say when my girlfriend and i got the headsets we got them so we could you know kill some zombies together in like arizona sunshine at the time um um, after the fall had not been released, but then we bought it the day it was released. Played it a bunch. It is so fun too. Just a that, very arcade that's a type. That's it's a zombie the, killing. We, we played that. It's one, the right? one you played. Yep. Yeah. And it's a lot of zombies, and uh, the reloading mechanisms are pretty intense. You have to drop the cartridge and then get your new cartridge, place it in, cock the gun, all of these different elements. But you get pretty good at it after a while. Um, and you play, I guess, collaboratively. And that's what was important. I, I want to play two-player collaborative uh, games. Um, and I'm into zombies. But for some reason, this has always been my video game resistance. Uh, is like I don't want to play other teams because I'm aware of video game culture. And people are just going to be more invested than me. There's going to be masters at Population 1. There's going to be... And so uh, my girlfriend was super excited about buying Population 1, and I uh, was not. I was resistant. I was like, we have like three shooting games. We need to invest in other types of fun. Um, but she was so excited, and it's like, look, if that's her number one game, I'm not going to talk her out of it. And so I so, said, you know, kind of a fine, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's in some ways like, when I got sick, when I got COVID, actually, and she, we both had it, she she was fine. I was. We could talk about this in a second, um, but I was laid out for a few days. She was fine, so she's playing, and I'm watching her through Chromecast, you know. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, her passion for it and me watching, I started. It's actually kind of fun to watch. You can because it's a drama that unfolds. Like the first ten minutes, or excuse me, the first five minutes, you're looting, and there's a certain pleasure of trying to find your favorite gun and get everything situated and get the stuff you like. And that has its own sort of fun as you're breaking windows and going into buildings and whatnot. Like that's just it has its own degree of pleasure. And then as the the uh, map shrinks the more intense the more likelihood you're going to be engaged in combat so you get you start to develop a skill and i'm sure you could speak to this but you start to at first you're not good at spotting people uh from a distance because there's no indication other than movement but there are a few things on the map like billboards and tv screens and things that move that sort of throw you off at first but as you gain familiarity with the map you'll you just start to 
see people better. Uh, you get the controls where you can mark them on the map and go, ooh, I see someone over there. And usually the squads, uh, they travel together. So if you see one person, you've probably spotted three in that area. And then you strategically decide, ooh, ooh I'll take the sniper. Ooh, I've got my close range gun. Ooh, I've got my mid range. And you sort of uh, claim to some degree, like, how, how are we going to go about doing this? Mm. Um, and... Uh, Anyway, uh, so I have to eat my words, and I went from resisting wanting this game uh, because playing, I'd rather, like, I've always had a preference toward playing, like, NPCs, and, like, I like the idea of a game creator saying, I want you to have this experience, here you go, and I go and I have it. I actually don't even like auto-generate, what, what do they call it when they say, oh, these are the these dungeons are auto-generated every time, so you get bad guys and different layouts, uh, and they, yeah. they really Procedural. sing it procedurally, procedurally generated, generation. yes. And everyone touts that as like this positive experience, but no, honestly, like when, I, when I hear it, I think, well, then it doesn't matter, like, you're, literally your design doesn't matter, like, because to me, I want to believe that the creators are awesome. They know how to create pathways, hallways. And, you know, it's all so intentional that, like, and it's an experience that, like, I could share and I could be like, oh, Bennett, do you remember going down that hallway with that peculiar light? And then you come around the corner and holy crap, there was this monster right there. And, you you know, like, well, it was an remember, experience that was cultivated for me and not just procedurally generated. You, know? you remember when we, um, when we played AI, AI Dungeon, the uh, the AI that could write, yeah, yeah, that could write stories. It's a procedurally or generated idea, right? Right, it's procedurally generated words, you know, stories, and you know, there are other AIs that people have made that that do they write stories, and whenever you read one, you're like, this doesn't really make <laughs> sense totally, and even if it does make sense on the small scale, you know, maybe per paragraph or whatever the overarching narrative and you know the meaning of the story is almost always lacking and so you know it's the same thing you say when you play, play a procedurally generated video game you're like oh this doesn't matter and when you read a procedurally generated story you're like oh this doesn't matter and so at the state of ai right now yeah it doesn't matter because like these things they, they're coherent at a quick glance but you know they don't they don't Feel fulfilling to them, and in video games in particular, I totally agree with you. I'm I don't like procedurally generated content when it's when it's obvious that that's the main you know, the, the the main part of the game. What I'm they're not, saying to me then is that it's some sort of shoot 'em up or or uh, like I get the replayability sell, like right, like oh you can go in and you're not gonna have master because you you know people that replay and replay and replay if you know they're jumping out right then you're prepared and you can do speed runs better or whatever but like what's wrong with that first of all and secondly just give me the experience you want me to have because yeah if they're jumping out at, i don't know we i don't have to rehash it i just said it i just don't well, like there are, it as much i mean there are games like you know it's not just people jumping out at you there are games like spelunky have you heard about that game no it's a it's like a 2d metroidvania type game it's like a cave diving sort of game and um the levels are procedurally generated they change around every time and that's cool and you know if you're it's a very popular game um and, and so i actually haven't played it i've just i've seen it before um and uh you know you can you can do it with skill but even so to me it just it lacks soul you know something the yeah. game the game designer can craft an experience perfectly or craft a tricky puzzle or a challenging room 
And I kind of like the consistency of being able to know that, you know, other, everyone else is getting the same experience I am. And, you know, you can, you can kind of compare and contrast experiences in that way. Whether that means, oh, I'm stuck. Let me look up how to get past this part. Or, you know, I made it past this really challenging room. Not everyone can say the same thing, you know. Uh, right. Whereas in a procedure, procedurally generated game, eh, who knows? You know, oh, I beat it on difficulty level seven like with the procedurally generated junk that it threw at me. Um, and that's just not that interesting to me. So It's not. And uh, a Castlevania-type game, I would assume, like the level layout should matter, and it's part of the puzzle and part of the mystery and pleasure. And, and to hear, oh, I mean, we could just kind of wing that. We can just sort of, like, through an algorithm, give you a, a similar... If they're, if they're really saying that, it's cheapening it's just cheapening yeah. something deeply like it's actually it's unnerving to me i'm trying to think about like if you tried to view life through that lens it's like uh we we have the basic uh components of life like you want to deal with some falling in love and some heartbreak and you know here's the <laughs> recipe and uh, uh it's just uh i don't well, want to picture like my my god like and i mean that like like god going you know what it's just pre- it's procedurally generated like I, I like the idea of it having more meaning behind it and, and like purpose uh, i'm sure there are a lot of people that would argue that life is procedurally generated well um, yeah i mean that, it, that's fair te- too <laughs> technically it is but you know it's not the same thing we're talking about really <laughs> now i, I will right. say that um procedural generation like when, maybe when it's not used for gameplay or, or maybe, you know, if it's used to generate a terrain map and then the designers, like, you know, use that that base level to build out their, you know, towns and cities and mountains and caves and whatever, yeah. then that can, that can be useful and still fine because procedural generation really is a shortcut, especially for, like, small development teams and studios, you know, who, you know, they don't have a huge staff of artists and designers that can go in and handcraft everything. Um, and so being able to just put in some parameters and have the computer generate that it saves a huge amount of time at the expense of the soul. So as long as you go back in and you know put some of the soul in there, then maybe there's a balance to be found. Well, from a technical standpoint, it sounds interesting. Plus, I can imagine, okay, let's say you play Splatoon or you play some sort of where you get familiarize yourself with the levels. That has a pleasure, but I could also see it being a pleasure to select a procedurally generated room so everyone's being dumped in a room, like all the masters and newbies and everyone in between kind of doesn't, or they just don't know the layout of the room. So you're, you're sort of leveling the playing field in some ways there. So like I would want that option in a Splatoon style game where you, there's many levels. I would want a procedurally done level. So not only can you know your rooms, but you you know, you can choose one where you don't know the room that well or the level that well. Um back to VR. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sorry, po- yeah. Population 1 um yeah, I that was probably the game I played most um when I when I was visiting you. Uh and, yep. and I had a lot of fun with it. But I was trying to think what, what, like to 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 me, I even though I had a really good time playing it, I didn't find it to be a particularly good game. Um, I guess like it was good because of the novelty, but there wasn't a lot to it that I found to be very special. Like it seemed to have not much of a. It didn't really have a coherent theme or design population one i don't really know what that means except you know there's one person left standing which isn't even accurate because you have a team of three maybe i mean maybe there's something i'm not aware of um 
Um, I think your criticism... Well, go ahead. I'll let you finish your thought. And it didn't... You know, you, you, the, the map is really big, and it has these different themed areas, but because it had all these different themed areas, it just seemed like a mishmash. It just seemed like we'll put all of our assets into this giant map. Like, it didn't feel like, you know, Splatoon has the whole squid ink thing and i don't even know what fortnite has maybe maybe they just wholesale stole everything from fortnite that sounds kind of like what they might have done fortnite doesn't have a unifying theme i don't think either um but right. and then the weapons there weren't any really interesting weapons they were just normal guns um with the with the exception of a, a giant uh, medieval style sword which also to me was like what is this and then eating a banana <laughs> to replenish your health like the first time i saw that i was like that's the health replenishment like that's stupid <laughs> like Goofy. Yeah. all of the all all of the aesthetics and design choices of the game i found to be like it, it screamed cheap asset flip game um that's what it seemed like to me uh in terms of the design of this particular game and also like the it didn't seem to it didn't seem to capitalize on the strengths of VR. It seemed like a game that could just as easily be played without VR. Um, well, I think the flying and the climbing... I mean, you could easily uh, do that with a controller and on a you, flat screen. Yeah, but, but when you say in VR what makes something feel... Like, it is really, really fun to fly in any game. That's been a real pleasure to me. It makes me want to go buy a, um, an airplane either not simulator i like to find something more arcadey but like uh flying is just a lot of fun and so and and any combat and i think this is why almost it's a trope at this point just another zombie game or another shooting game is the spinning around and the like the full view and the aiming and and all of that is different than like aiming on a, a in a video game on a 2d surface like it's either a point and click on a computer or you know using your your toggle like you're using your joystick type controls somehow or another so like i think i mean I, th I think you're ultimately right that i think games have successfully like this could be as this could be done like it, it what you're right it was it was not particularly inventive and i actually think that's a criticism that could be lobbied or, or levied at all all of the like the quest 2 games this is what it seems like to me we have this new market this new emerging market where virtual reality We've been talking about virtual reality probably since the 70s. I don't know. But like we're finally at this part, point where we have some people. There's enough that's got some programmers' attention. Uh, but you don't have... I mean, I guess you have PlayStation in, interested in it. But uh, it's not being... You don't have AAA titles. It's that sort of... Especially Quest 2 doesn't have a whole lot of computing power. Mm -hmm. um, and so what you're getting is, okay, how do we put a version of a kart racer like Mario Kart on in VR? How do we, how do we take uh, proven formulas of video games and kind of rip them off? So what you're getting is stuff that's lacking in uh, soul, yeah. but, but has the benefit of building on the backs of giants, so it understands quality of life elements. And as a as a casual to non gamer myself, I walk in and I get all the benefits of uh, the the quality of life upgrades. I also get uh, I I'm sort of I'm not I don't have the gamer um, 
knowledge and intuition to see a banana and and i can understand when you tell me like how that can just feel so cheap and there is something like intellectually i can go that's just kind of a silly like not particularly thoughtful there's no unifying thing like i can tell you imagine just just uh, imagine if the game like you said another thing that caught my attention when you said all the when the map shrinks there's the red this red wall they call it the storm and i thought why do they call it that? That's stupid. It doesn't look like a storm. It doesn't sound like a storm. But if it right. was actually a storm, like if you were playing in the middle of some big cyclone thing and the cyclone gradually shrunk, imagine how much cooler the setting of the game would be. Like imagine if it was thematically unified where, you know, it was raining and thundering and lightning and like you were playing in this big storm that gradually shrunk and the game was called, I don't know, in the cyclone's eye around whatever yeah. po- population cyclone like um get it because popul- yeah. cy- cy- yeah. <laughs> anyway like it would be way better right and this was just thematically it was just scattered everywhere there was no unifying theme which like and, and the you know i'm harping on this a lot um <clears throat> but but i mean my my primary value as a person who plays video games is the gameplay so you know unifying theme I can live without it if the game is fun. And this the, game was fun. My overall impression was positive, but it just seems like low-hanging fruit, really, to, you know... What they did put, get put right is, like you said, they actually... You can look up stats for all the different guns, and even though they're not inventive, they are uh, thoughtful in terms of they bothered to put... Um, there's no bullet drop, but there's, like... There is bullet t- uh, time, the delay... The delay. And how how much something hurts, how far you have to be, where it hits. There's like charts and stuff if you want to go study that stuff or if you get interested. And like, it's just it's one of those. It's like yeah, you say. That, you, that's not special though. That's it's not like, special. That's but I'm saying that, but it's that's tight. But it's too. tight. But yeah. it, But to me, it's tight. So I get to walk in and you know have yes. it's all ripped off. It's none of it's new. What what I think you're saying gives me actually a lot of hope because I'm having a freaking blast playing the game and I'm going. This like has so much room for improvement. Yes, like, yeah, that like, was my takeaway too. Like I, you, you know, you 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 and your girlfriend both were pressuring me to buy one of these things when I left so that we could continue playing. Yeah, I, did, I still I did, want you to. <laughs> yeah, I did have a good time with it, but I came away thinking this is not being used yet. Like this, even though it's starting to become popular, no one is using it yet. Like it's we haven't seen. There's no killer app. Like, the, most of the software is just rip-off from other video game stuff, and the VR doesn't contribute. Like, here's what I'll tell you about popul- about my entire experience playing VR, actually. The, the coolest thing was simply the novelty of being able to, you know, see your hands in VR and, you know, be able to turn your head, and it feels like you're looking somewhere in a virtual room or a virtual world or whatever. And yeah. that, was, that was it. That was the only thing... That was special, and that's what was fun about Population One was holding the gun in your hand, and you know you have your right hand on, you know the the trigger, and your left hand on, you know like the foregrip of the gun or something. And as you move your hands around, the gun kind of matches that, you know. And you'd um, say it did that very well. I mean, like it tracked super well. That's what I've been impressed with. Yeah, yeah, right. It tracked well. It tracked enough to, um, you know, for you to suspend disbelief and. You know, get some immersion in there and feel like you're handling this thing. Now, there's, you know, there's still the, you know, if I was going to quibble, there's no haptic feedback that's worth anything. Just vibration, controller vibration, which is nothing. Like they're they're missing a 
that that's the hurdle for VR to be truly immersive. But and they're but, working on some cool gloves. But anyway, yeah. But yeah, that said, right. that said, the just being able to have the motion tracking and all of that is really cool, and that's what is interesting. But the games don't use it. I mean, they use it, but in its most basic form. I don't know. I feel like there's something more that can be had to distinguish a VR game from you know a, a Nintendo Switch game or a PlayStation game or whatever. Like from what I played, I didn't play anything that really said this is a different experience. Um, I mean, the closest thing I guess was I, I briefly played some little puzzle game where. You don't use the controllers. It tracks your fingers, and you pick up little blocks and complete puzzles like that. And that was that had the beginnings of something unique because you're not using a controller, but you know the haptic right. feedback is a major problem there. Um, not That's when they, the they're working on glove stuff to do to tr- yeah yeah. But you're right. That was just it's unusual to just have the visual. Like we've conquered not conquered, but we're we're on our way to having acceptable visuals and doing it well uh and we can trace hands and body movements okay now what though yeah it's there's haptic feedback stuff too that that yeah Yeah, there's some interesting videos about what 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 goes into uh, immersion and making you like how do we experience reality and how do we know when something's real versus when it's not so it's interesting this was a kind of a both the philosophical and scientific video that made the case that like we know things are real when we can you know feel it see it x y and z so like what what's going to happen when we actually bridge the gap and we can do give you that haptic feedback experience and truly start uh (laughs) <laughs> in some ways make you feel like you were getting into a virtual reality like in all seriousness like that's it yeah. can, can be kind of unnerving it's a it's an exciting thought too so yeah it's exciting and i hope they continue working down that path and making it better because e- even though i had fun with it it's not good enough yet it's not good enough for me to buy anyway um and like you know w- with respect to the philosophical question of you know what 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 produces a, that sensation of immersion mm-hmm. like i think that i think that let's see i wonder if this works you know you're familiar with the uncanny valley right yeah yeah that i think we've talked about it before that phenomenon where you know for 3d models or dolls or whatever you can design it to the point where it looks very human but for some reason it's just deeply unsettling to us because it's not actually a human it's not photorealistic right. it's something in the middle that just looks unnatural and it's probably some deeply rooted evolutionary aversion to disease and sickness and asymmetry that just flares up in us and we just we rebound from it and we go oh that's weird i don't like it um, imagine that there's a similar sort of reaction to that there's an uncanny valley in immersion at where you know if you're looking at a um you know a tv screen and you're watching the simpsons or something that's obviously not real but we can somehow it's amazing we can suspend our disbelief and we can see that homer simpson is a person that's weird he's got yellow skin and this weird donut looking (laughs) mouth and three strands of hair and we see but we We see no problem accepting him yeah And, and we can watch the whole show and we can be immersed in the story or whatever and there's tons of better examples than the simpsons i'm sure but but for some reason we can get immersed in that but then like with vr 
there's there's some immersive potential. Uh, there's lots of immersive potential, but like you know, you look you're looking around and you're moving your hands and everything is good, and then you move your hand outside of your boundary. And, you know, the big thing pops up and says, you know, you're, you're moving outside of your boundary. Or you look down and you see your character's feet and they're not matching your feet. And you're like, Ugh. Or what I found, this is one of my chief complaints, is just the motion. Like, moving your head around is great and that's really immersive. But as soon as you take a step left or right, or you move the joystick to move your character in game left or right... All of all immersion disappears as soon as you do that, and it's like, whoa! This is I'm playing a video game. I'm playing a video yeah. game on a TV now. Uh, the TV's just close to my eyes, and that's what it felt like to you, me. You bring up a good point. I, well, when I reflect on the game, or when I'm thinking about it, and or recalling it from my memory, strangely, I don't p- picture myself like in the world. I picture it in a as if it's on on the. TV screen. I don't know what I'm saying there exactly. I just mean that, like, think about this. You recall memories all the time, and you can put yourself in the restaurant you ate at or whatever town you were in. And like, how does memory work? I don't know, but you you visualize what it was like to be there. When I'm visually visualizing myself in Population One, I don't feel like I'm just Daniel in this artsy (laughs) digital world. I feel like I just think of it like any other video game, which. to your point about Uncanny Valley, for me, it's actually really easy. And once I've mastered the movement and stuff, I, I think we're so far away. The graphics aren't that great. We've talked about how the graphics are good enough, and I'm fine with them. At, at this point, Like, like the Quest 2 has arrived with graphics is good enough, for, in my opinion. Do I want better? Of course, and we are going to head in that direction anyway, so I'm not worried about it. We're going to get some awesome machines in the future that have great graphics and all of that but yeah as we get closer to full immersion i think we're going to be approaching like we're pretty far away from uncanny valley in the way that simpsons is right now and that's why it's not really an issue i mean it's sort of different for different people and there's some motion sickness things but i don't think that they're i'm wondering if we'll have a primitive or a excuse me a primal reaction to like if if we start to get into these things and they have haptic feedback and actually are doing much much better we're going to be closer to actually experiencing a reality and i could see it being upsetting to experience a gunshot if you're like in a game and or, or games are like imagine now shooting games are not fun and they're not selling well and they're like why it's so immersive and it's like people are stressed out and when they get hit even though you're happy uh, feedback is not giving you something that's actually causing ba- br- pain it's not hard enough we can tell you like we're giving you this experience just to say you've been hit but you're so immersed that your brain is interpreting that and like and like sending pain signals can't you see some weird wonky stuff happening between like what your brain is uh how it interprets and like what's being communicated to it like it's inevitably going to get into a weird space that's the whole idea is like something could be unnerving and all of a sudden all the games on the quest 2 are shooting games and all the on the quest five like no one wants to buy shooting games because it's just too freaky Uh, i don't know (laughs) yeah i can see or like the real morality back in like like mortal Kombat and the worry of violence you know like i I just have a hard time taking video games and violence seriously uh in terms of it creating killers and and immoral people but i think you get to really if, if you got into some like snuff porn type video games in the future where the realism is nearly there uh yeah i'm really bothered by that and i think that could be well isn't there a game called like what's it called blade and sorcery or something like that where 
you're like there is a game called Blade Sorcery, but yeah, it's a VR game, and you're like in an arena, and you know you have a sword, and you can chop people up, and blood goes everywhere, and you can use magic spells and blow them away and stuff. It's supposed to be really fun. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, I just think we're so maybe it's I still think we're so far away. I don't know. Just fun for people who peed the bed (laughs) too too late. (laughs) Their dogs on fire or whatever. Yeah, (laughs) they love Um, it. (laughs) Yeah, they they love Blade and Sorcery. Highest reviews from them. I, I peed my bed until I was six, but I love Blade and Sorcery. Uh, but I yeah. think that video game argument might come back. I mean, it almost inevitably is going to be revisited in a, with more fury in the future, but maybe for good reason. Because if you get into this sadistic, you, you can imagine a game that's just like, I mean, you could even imagine a good game that's like science. I still don't buy the argument, even, even with more immersive. Because, I mean, kind of based on the premise that I just said, you can get immersed in a in the Simpsons, you can get immersed in an NES or super NES game and you can get immersed in this VR game. If you're immersed, then you're having the interaction, you're having the feelings and, you know, your adrenaline, you know, kicks in when something exciting happens in the game and like you're there. And now I don't see the distinction just, just because Uh you're moving your hands in the same motion. Like, is it supposed to, make you more prone to real-world violence? I don't see it. No, to me, it seems I'm, like if I'm you, trying if to say that virtual reality could, and it's not nearly there yet, but it's on the path toward being a unique experience that's different. Than, like reading a book, we're fully immersed. Watching TV and good movies, we're fully immersed. But I I think I'm saying the word or the phrase fully immersion or fully immersed differently because that just means I'm totally into it but I, at no point do I actually think I'm in that world like yeah I might actually be zoned out in the, the surroundings like someone could scare me because I'm reading the book and I'm not paying attention but like I, in no re- world am I uh, have I slipped in it, I'm just deep well, down my imaginative rabbit hole but I could see like if I if I'm if we're in these uh, Ready Player One worlds where we're sitting in our chairs and like spending eight hours a day and like developing friendships and relationships in a digital space and having a digital like uh, uh, there could be a whole real realty uh, you know you're buying stuff like for your digital house and all of this where it starts to get really blurred so if you're going around killing people in a digital space uh, it, it's that uh, immersive. I don't know. I'm just saying it just feels different than than just I lost myself in a piece of art for a little bit. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not convinced. Like, surely you would be aware, like, you're going to be aware that you're wearing the headset or you're sitting in the chair or you have to press the button to bring up your menu or whatever. Like, all of these things are going to make you recognize you know, in the same way that, oh, I'm holding the book, yeah, I'm turning think- the page, I'm pressing the power button on my remote. Like all of these things clue you into the fact that, okay, I know this isn't reality, but I can, you know, I can, I can consciously push away all of reality and get immersed in this digital medium that I'm partaking in. But, like, I mean, I, I can, maybe you're talking about just further future than I am. Maybe, um, and maybe I'm also talking about just okay on like the N64 on GoldenEye. If you shoot your enemy in the head a dozen times after they're dead. Um, you know, versus some sort of um, ultra-realistic, 
future where like okay so the the gamer's still aware they're in a game but like the satisfaction of the gore and the uh the sounds and the feel that they're getting they're more likely to be um like get some satisfaction than they are from the gold so the golden eye is not going to go oh i should go i, I want to go make this a reality like or at least the gap between that and wanting it to be a reality versus well, <coughs> holy so moly a, this was good you know I what, what go about what about this as a distinction so i think this could be important so you're talking about virtual worlds where you can buy digital real estate and you know we've seen probably clickbait headlines about nfts and all of that nonsense already um, people paying real world money for yeah you know all of this stuff. So just imagine a dystopian, and I think it would be dystopian future in which you can buy digital assets and you have a digital world and if and those digital assets can be stolen in that digital world just like your real assets can be stolen in the real world. And maybe if you die in the digital world, then you know you get reset back to zero or something like that. Anyway. The idea is that you're li- everyone's living in this virtual digital world with costs, costs associated. And so if you go stab someone or steal their car or whatever, then they face a real cost. You know, they, they face significant um, frustration, maybe not in their real life, or maybe it does extend to their real life if they're paying real money for it. But that's where I could start to see there being issues right because now a digital criminal would be causing harm and presumably some of their enjoyment and thrill would be you know it's kind of like griefing right like causing harm to other people in the digital world and that seems like something that could bleed over like oh i would have you know set their house on fire but you there's no fire physics in the game but wouldn't it be cool to set their house on fire like well maybe i could try it in the real world i don't know like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that seems like the same argument that people make against violence in video games now. Um, you know, like, oh, I can shoot people in Call of Duty. Well, I could shoot people in real life. Like, it seems like a leap that's difficult to make. But the what's distinct is that, you know, in Call of Duty, you're not really shooting someone. They're not really facing any significant harm other than they lost the match. But if there is this persistent digital world with value attached and you could conceivably cause real harm to someone real digital harm whatever that means (laughs) yeah then maybe there is some translation does that make any sense it does make sense it's just when i think about the video game argument although i disagree with it you know that video games cause violence or in real life i i understand fundamentally and i do believe fundamentally that like the the behaviors we practice like like or what comes in is what comes out what we put into our brain obviously affects how we behave and and what we believe and what we think so it's it's like it's just sort of an obvious truth that like garage in garage out (laughs) you know whatever you put into your garage you have to take out of your garage like i am shaped to some degree externally like things people ideas what i'm exposed to what i wrestle and it's shaped to am. so if i'm putting in yeah garages then i'm gonna have garages coming out and so um that just seems true and then so then the video game argument is just a simple version of like oh if you kill people in video games you might get violent in real life and like that just hasn't born itself out really and so it doesn't really hold as much water but as the gap between there's just this huge gulf between video games and real life there just is and that's what we're articulating now when my argument is that as virtual reality closes the gap between video games and real life 
that argument starts to be, have more potency to me. That's really the big yeah, picture. That's, what I mean. that's that's logical. That makes sense. And I guess we'll find out. If, and then what, the question just, is, can, yeah, can virtual reality ever bridge that gap in a meaningful way? Or will it just always remain this very separate thing? And you and I are predisposed toward resisting, you know, social media and all of this stuff anyway. So I have a hard time taking, like, the digital life seriously. But I'm a yeah. little worried that uh, we're on the kind of... Uh, Get off uh, my lawn. Yeah, we're on the wrong. No, what's the, we're on the wrong side of uh, technology. <laughs> and, Something uh, just popped into my mind when you were talking about um, uh, about the video game violence thing. Yeah, like, can you can you imagine like go back in time, three hundred, four hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, or whatever? And there's the, you know, the criers standing out. I guess. I don't. They didn't have newspaper criers. I'm trying to get the timeline right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Three hundred anyway, years ago, get your get your newspaper here. Imagine, yeah, imagine that kid, but somehow in the 1600s or 1500s or whatever, and they're saying chess leads to monarchical violence. Like <laughs> these kings and queens are playing this newfangled chess right. game, and they're yeah, you knock using, down the you steal the queen, you like, yeah, sending checkmate. their pawns in, sacrificing their pawns and their knights, and getting their <laughs> castles castled. And or yeah, just, did they say that when people would just play with sticks in the dirt, like oh, like they're playing swords, right? They made swords out of it. It's like, did was there a big push? Violence, back? don't don't sticks, you dare! Sticks cause violence. Yeah, everyone, <laughs> we need to ban these sticks. Yeah, like I wonder if was there or was it just imagination and that was cutesy and accepted. It's like look at the kids; they made it into a gun, they made it into a walking stick, they made it into a sword, like like they made it into a, a tool that digs. A I mean, I don't know. They're, yeah, an electric chair, and that's celebrated. Like, <laughs> should should video games? They're just they're just creative pieces. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So over overall, oh. I'll tell you what I really liked about the uh, the Quest 2. I, li- I really liked that there are no wires and that it was like a self-contained package. You just turn it on, put it on, and I didn't even find it that uncomfortable, honestly. Uh, I found it to be pretty ergonomic overall, and the ability to draw the little guardian boundary is really cool, and to click it to be able to see through, you know, to see outside of the goggles without yeah. taking them off was really cool. And the price point is good. They're about three hundred dollars. Am I right? Something yep. like that. And it's like you can cast to the TV, which you know we did, and you can watch, and that's really cool too. All of that, very cool. Like the form factor is significantly better than I, I think what it used to be, and and its competitors, I think. And so that's good. Like if if now if that ups the ante, and all the competition jumps on board, um, and makes you know comparable headsets. Uh, that are comfortable and with no wires, then that's that's really great. Um, although, like, I, st- I still think even hardware-wise, there's a little way to go because I, I found it to be pretty blurry. Um, you know, maybe that's the graphical fidelity thing, but even playing Population 1, you know, the gra- be- having, you know, low graphical fidelity is fine. I'm on the same page as you there, but I found it fairly blurry. Like, you couldn't see very far and... I don't know. It just it wasn't. It was apparent that you're looking at a screen close to your eyes and not, you know, you weren't. It, it was just an immersion breaking thing. Yeah, and it might be the spacing of the eyes thing, and it might be some other factors. But you're right. Even when you got it right, it wasn't perfect. 
It just or or it was fa- not only not perfect, but um, you're right, blurry. I would say so. Yeah, I've, I guess I've accepted only, that blur, but it's not something I want in the future. I don't want to deal with that. Like the next iteration should should be better, you know. Yeah, and and the Facebook integration also. Even though I was playing on y'all's, so I didn't really experience that. I would hate to have to have to have a Facebook account to play and do everything through Facebook and have this little walled garden of apps on their thing. That seems really annoying. Yeah, that that's. I guess part of the uh, you're gonna get this discounted item, and I don't know if they're taking a loss or anything on it. It just seems like I'm sure they're making a little money, but like it's very affordable, very accessible, and very. I guess that's and this is I predicted you actually you liked it more than I thought you would. I just thought you would not really like it, but maybe I don't know. You like I was just pleasantly surprised that you had some fun with it, and uh, perfect for a casual gamer, um, I think. And then, yeah, let's see where this thing goes. What I, what I guess what I hope is this is obviously a stepping stone, and I hope that this the market expands and, and people play and that they... Um, what I worry is that a lot are playing and it's sort of a novelty and they put it away. And then the so, the, so the team, the marketing, or the, you know, all these coders and game makers and things like that are just not going to... Yeah, you can say something like, ooh, however many million units are sold, but... Are people continuing to buy games? I don't know. We'll see. So, yeah, I think that there's a high probability that it, you know, it's kind of like the Wii, you know, which was revolutionary for a time, and everyone had it, and they had it in old folks' homes, and every, yeah. everyone had a Wii and was playing Wii Sports and the Wii Balance Board and all of this stuff because it was novel motion controls, and then everyone was like, oh, that was fun, and then move on to something else. Like I could definitely see that happening with VR, um, yeah. especially if the price point you know, inches up or doesn't continue, to <coughs> doesn't continue to drop. But even, even so, like, regardless of what happens in the broader landscape, I, I thought it was really cool. And I would, I would consider buying one, maybe the, maybe the next iteration, like if they can. Yeah. I'm sold you- on VR. Like I'm on the way, if they come out with another one in two years, that's like reasonably priced quest three, whatever. I'm like, probably going to buy it. Uh, if they can if they can reduce the blurriness if they can remove the facebook requirement or if it's a competitor has one that doesn't require facebook and they have actually good games then that's when i'll consider getting one um yeah. like i don't want little experiences they're cool they're neat and they are experiences but i want i want a game i want to be able to play a game and not just fiddle with you know guns that, that that's the that's the kind of novelty that's going to wear off quickly fiddling with guns and fiddling with blocks and all of that like do something different and you know it's easier said than done but they, they need a killer app they need something special and i don't think they have that yet friday they're releasing a one of these their first big mmo rpg games they've been working on for a long long time and uh it's going to be on all the vr platforms so it's going to be pretty big i just What's wonder it what it Starts with a Z. <laughs> it's two syllables. <laughs> Zelda. Uh, I'm literally going to want to finding that. Right, hold on. Hold on. Uh, quest. I don't two. know. I don't know what that is. I don't think. MMORPG game. It's coming out Friday. It's called Zenith. That's it. I was right. Started with a Z, two syllables. Very, and that wasn't to be a joke. Um, yeah, it's coming out Friday, or the 27th. I think that's Friday. Yeah, I have not heard anything anything about that. Uh, so, interesting. Well, are you going to get it? 
I'm very, I mean, I'm not RPG type game, but like, like in the same vein of what you said is I want to get out there and have some different experiences. And if, if my girlfriend and I can jump on for a couple hours, uh, on the weekends and I can play it casually and she can level up. And if, uh, you know, if she plays without me, uh, yeah, I, I think we're going to get it. I think it just sounds like it's worth taking a, maybe a $40 risk or whatever it is. So, yeah. So with all these games that y'all are buying, do you have to buy them twice? No, um, okay, that's good. But it's sort of a hacky way to do it. Um, it they wanted you to do it, and Quest has come out and said we understand more people are buying. They do a family sharing app thing, and then they the way we had to do it, we we just like linked accounts and turned some off and did. I forget honestly, it was fairly complicated. But there's only a couple of videos out there that show you how to do it, and uh, so it's not easy. And it but it works. And it's mm-hmm. kind of annoying. So if, if if she bought one on her headset, which she did early on, I just don't have I don't have it. I have to buy it on my headset. And then with the way we have it all linked behind the scenes with the family sharing, and because hers is like she has to frequently log in when she turns on her, she has to click her name, whereas I don't have to, right? She has to select her account. Mm-hmm. Just little thing to have to do at the beginning. Not nothing that's substantial. Um, and so, but Quest has come out and said we understand more, 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 more families are now having two per household or more. So we're trying to work on like not having to buy them because indiv- right now the official word is yes, you do have to. We just sort of hacked it through YouTube videos. So um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's good to know that you can you can do it that way. That's just another another component of digital digital only games, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you want to um, talk about COVID, or do you want to talk about uh, do a do a segment? Uh, let's let's just let's talk about our COVID experience a little bit, since we both uh, we both had COVID, and that's yeah. the uh, that's the hot Soup topic. Soup or yeah, that's the horse divorce. Horse divorce. The last uh, two years, everyone has been in a in a uh, in a pandemic about it. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we we both got covid over the holidays i got covid from you probably so your fault uh, almost that I, certainly uh, that i, I caught this deadly disease yep Every, uh, everyone caught it it seems it, at my school that has about uh 600 people in the upper division 600 kids uh we'll have like 40 out on a given day uh, in the high school and then we'll have we had as much as we have about 80 teachers in the upper in the high school and so there were you know up 15 gone in one day so the last couple of weeks have been just a lot of kids missing for a short amount of time but yeah it was over the holiday break i got it um and my girlfriend got it my, my dad got it my mom eventually got it my brother got it uh you got it from us almost certainly um i was feeling like I think the day you came over to watch some B movies, uh, I was I told you like, oh, I'm not feeling fantastic, but whatever. Then we, you came over, we watched movies, and when you left uh, that night, it hit me in the middle, like uh-huh. laying down for bed, and I had a fever, and I was miserable. My the two things I remember were that night were, was awful. Uh, I had a bad, bad headache, just a migraine level headache for about 24 hours, and was that sort of fever where you're both hot and cold and you want to put blankets on, but you're sweaty and uncomfortable and you're shaky and all of that. I, that day one was freaking miserable, man. Like horrible. Day two and three were like regular. I have the flu. I don't feel great. And then after that, uh, I was, 
I was fine. Um, everyone else, Danielle and my parents and all, they uh, they were more just like, ooh, I feel funky and not great. And that kind of sucked for two or three days. And that was it. Um, and so that <laughs> that's the short of it is it was kind of a... Uh, I mean, you know... I don't know. I never lost my appetite, actually. I slept a bunch, but feverishly. I ate, uh, yeah, I ate plenty. I don't, I don't know what else to say. It was sort of Did you a, ever lose your taste or smell? No taste, no smell, nothing like that. I think did I've you said have, every... Did you have any lingering side effects? Or um, honestly, I have not had my cough 100% go away, but my cough actually never got that bad. And I don't know if it's also just sort of a sick season where there's something always floating around and I feel completely healthy. And when I say I have a cough, I mean like during this podcast over, you know, an hour and a half, I've coughed like three times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, and it's, so even calling that a cough, like some people, I don't know. So I, I, uh, I could call that lingering, but I don't even know if that's related to COVID or not. Uh, and I feel in perfect health. Um, I was just struggling with different various colds uh, in November and December. Like those two for two months, I just wasn't that healthy. So it was almost a sense of relief once I got COVID and was like, <laughs> "All right, I've had all the colds. I've had COVID. Like this will be a 2022 is going to be like a healthy year. I'll be You're done immune with all to that." Everything. Yeah, well, I'm not a sickly person, so to go two months of just feeling, you know, 75%, uh, that starts to weigh on you psychologically. You just get kind of irritable and just not in a great mood. So, yeah, I remember I uh, when o- over Christmas when uh, when you were telling me that you've just felt kind of under the weather for a while and you didn't feel that great, but whatever. I was like, well, does he have COVID? Maybe you know, it's possible. Maybe your dad was sick at that point too. This is does dad have COVID and do I want to go over there? Eh, I don't really care. Like COVID just didn't, wasn't, wasn't really a concern to me. And I kind of felt the same, like it would be kind of a relief to, to just get it, you know, and get it over. I've been saying that for a year and a half though. Like it would be a relief to just go ahead and get it and get it over with that way. You know, you're immune and you don't have to worry right, about given it. Right, your, given your health and statistically too, yeah, it's like the co- you just don't need to exercise the degree of caution that like an right, older right. immunocompromised person does. So. That was the flu's cruise, the flu's cruise idea. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, turn, I mean, I turned out to be right. Like I, I, went, I went over, hung out. I did catch COVID from you. And then my, my COVID experience was, you know, it was very mild, I would say. Like I was sick. I felt... I felt bad for probably 10 hours, basically one night, um, and had yeah. a fever for some fraction of that time. And then the, the next day, I just I basically didn't get any sleep um, that, that night. I uh, had very mild headache, mild muscle ache, mild fever, um, mild cough. All of it was very mild. The, I'll tell you the one thing that was that was the worst was trying to sleep. For some reason, I was just extremely restless. Like I, it was, I couldn't stop moving around and rolling around and moving my legs around. It felt like this restless leg syndrome kind of Ugh, discomfort. Yeah, I hate that. restless leg syndrome. If you've ever experienced that, it just that's what it felt like. I just could not stop, and I would try to like try to just calm my mind and do this pseudo meditation thing where I'm just like, okay do not move, don't move, and just keep my body still. And it took extreme amounts of concentration to manage that. 
And then as soon as my concentration would start to slip and I would start to fall asleep, I would start moving again and you know, it would wake me up. So I had basically one night of very restless, uncomfortable rolling around. Um, and then the next day, all of my symptoms basically went away, except I, I had a, a lingering cough as well. And the cough kind of stuck around for maybe three days and then, then was gone. It was a strange... For me, when it, when I had it, like I took the at-home test and said you have it, and then like immediately it came back. It didn't even take a minute. It was like, you, it was like yep, you've got it. Second day I took it, yep, you've got it. Um, I didn't know how I would feel. I mean, all the cultural rigmarole around COVID, and I knew that, like, I mean on a personal level, like, I just, it's something I, I want to avoid it, and I also don't want to spread, I just, I want to not get the cooties, because essentially this had become, like, super cooties, would I feel guilty, or uh, what would I feel when I got it, uh, would I feel like running around and apologizing to you, or potentially my parents, or what I would, and so there was this, like, ooh, where did I get it from, was it this restaurant, was it my brother, and, like, wanting, I mean, it's just natural, when something happens to you, you want to understand, how did you get to that position, just sort of, okay, um, and I felt, I didn't feel that guilty. And, and then it turns out I, it happened to me when like everyone was getting it, the, the Omicron variant. And so, uh, and, and coming back to school, uh, I mean, having, you know, that degree of kids that are in and out and all of this, it's like, I, I actually felt fortunate to like, all right, well, I've got that out of the way. Seriously, if, if I, you know, because all these teachers, can't, you know, over the break did not get it they come back they instantly got it so uh it's just it's just if you're gonna get it at at least at, at this school or here you know in florida i think it's just like gonna happen <laughs> so which yeah. makes me kind of think well perhaps it's better that we were able to roll out a, a vaccine uh or or not but like we did all of this we did a lot of things in order <laughs> to try and be safe we really did and then at the end of the day like just it's, yeah, it's going through and everyone's getting yeah. it. So. Well, that's what, that's to me what is the most frustrating and darkly humorous part of it all is that we, we have collectively for the last two years freaked the F out. We have just freaked out. We've shut crap down. We have fired people. We've passed authoritarian mandates. Places like Australia have literally thrown people in camps like it's nuts the stuff that people have done, all the mask rules and everything. And here we are after all of it, after you know all of the election hoopla and vaccine mandate nonsense, and still everyone is catching it. Everyone is catching it and almost no one is dying. An extraordinarily small percentage of people are dying and those who are dying are the people you know who would die from taking a bad step down the stairs, more or less. Um, well, and that's discounting all of the, you know, professional sports athletes and other people who are dying from heart attacks and everything due to the vaccines, but that's another issue. Um, I don't really know anything about that. that I've had my been, head in, sand, in the sand about this, so. Oh, there have been multiple uh, soccer players and other athletes, people who have had to be discharged from their teams for myocarditis and other issues. There have been a strange number of people dying from heart attacks, um, who have been vaccinated like there there are there are issues with the vaccine and it's being hush hushed like sh- sh- don't talk about that sh- stop particularly um, high level athletes yeah with, with who, some sort of heart conditions yeah. or or not you're saying that they 
uh, pe people who should be in tip-top peak human condition, like totally not vulnerable to this sort of thing, um, are having odd cardiovascular issues um, shortly after taking the vaccine. Um, hmm. So we weird stuff happening. And there are some people who talk, have talked about this stuff. A number of doctors have talked about this um, and get ton, tons of political flack, obviously. Um, but one, one thing <laughs> just about our particular cases that I find interesting and again, darkly humorous is that, you know, all, all of your family, you, the last time we talked about COVID, we were talking, it was after you got the vaccine um, and we were talking about that and you still got COVID. <laughs> you still got COVID. Yeah. Your, your girlfriend still got COVID. Your mom and dad got COVID. Everyone got COVID. And I did not take the vaccine. Um, and we talked about why we talked about risks and all of that. And I just thought the risk wasn't, the risk wasn't worth it. And then I got COVID and I was sick for like a third of the duration that you were and just, just wasn't that bad. Um, yeah. And I know it's not the same for everyone, but for most people who are in decent health, that's kind of how it was. Uh, so do you feel, do you feel gypped? Like, do you feel kind of ripped off or lied to? Because, you know, back when we were talking about the vaccine last time, you know, the idea was that and that's this is what we were being told is that okay if you take this thing you're done you don't have to worry about catching it anymore you don't have to worry about transmitting it you don't have to think about COVID. you don't have to wear masks anymore like you take this vaccine when we promise you're done with this and then you did you know you did because of social pressure and you know you weighed the risks and you weren't totally sure but you decided to do it um and, and that's fine but then everything that they told you would be an effect of the vaccine proved false. Like you still had to wear a mask. You still had to do testing. You know, you, you had to quarantine. You still caught COVID. You felt bad right. after you took the vaccine. Um, all of those things that they said were, were false, did not hold true. Like, do you, do you have any amount of annoyance about that? Or have you just not thought about it? Honestly, I don't. Um, I Just because I... I've decided way early on I'm not putting like this isn't my identity I don't care um, I don't like if I go to a place and everyone's wearing a mask I'll just put one on but I'm not going to do it just for my I'm not going to walk around with a mask myself um, I don't teach with a mask uh, it's optional so I just decided not to um, for me it's I just went when I told you head in the sand I just said like look if they have a vaccine I'll take it and uh yeah, and then like yeah, and then it came. So I write it off to. Perhaps this isn't. It's like okay, the world did some really stupid things. This 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 we faced this pandemic, and I think for the most, a lot of people is like presumption of goodwill. At least I'm trying to exercise. They're like, all right, what are some preventative measures we can take? And I think some of the darker side is like people kind of knew you couldn't stop it too much, but we're in charge. So we got to look like, so what's the pageantry of safety, right? How can we give the appearance of safety? Um, and then I think things get really muddled as you have a people going, it doesn't do anything. And then other people going, it, no, nah, it does a little bit. And then some saying it does a lot. And, and, and it just is like, I don't know. And so uh, I just was like, I'll, I'll kind of uh, play it safe socially because this whole pandemic for me and all the discourse around it is uh not really worth <laughs> not really worth like my intellectual energies it's just more of like how how are the people how is it affecting the psycho psychological state of my 
friends, my girlfriend, my colleagues, my students. I'm more just interested in it as a social phenomenon, so I've treated it that way. So like, okay. Uh, and so then, yeah, I took it and I got sick and I kind of do chuckle. It's not like I'm, I'm th- I've thought about it in terms of like, well, I don't think that they invented this vaccine to screw around and like, you know, I, I think it like the invention of this vaccine was absolutely out of goodwill and trying to help like just obviously i think i don't think there was some conspiracy there's no conspiracy of like they were i don't know goofy stuff like microchips or whatever but mm-hmm. um and so uh yeah but i got it anyway and i go huh we really didn't do a very good job overall uh and we we all the efforts for control are kind of crap and uh well that's why and, i was wondering like i think because i kind of think you're like case... i don't feel personally slighted is what i mean i'm not mad sure. uh, but well, i also think there's a big picture goal of hey this there's not like this this whole like wear a mask everywhere it just doesn't really help so well the reason i ask is because <clears throat> i think you're a li- you're more representative of the general populace than i am i think like i i was disagreeable from the beginning um you know i was looking at the information that was available and saying this is stupid and you know i'm not going to go along and I did, you know, social consequences be damned. Um, that was kind of my, my stance. But your stance was more what I think you know, the average person would be like, oh, everyone else is doing this, um, so maybe maybe I should too. And you know, what are the consequences for you know, my classroom and my job and all this stuff? And so and so you kind of went 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 along. You you took everything on good faith. You know, you ascribed good intentions to the vaccine makers, the policy makers, and everything. And so, well, that's why I asked because now, now, like all of that is defensible, more or less. All of your decision making was was defensible, but now that we can look back with the with the benefit of hindsight and see the repeated lies, the the astounding incompetence, the the misdirection, like people legitimately screwing around with things and 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 restricting civil liberties left and right like now that's why i ask if you were frustrated because to me it seems like the average person would look back now after lie after lie after lie falsehood after falsehood after falsehood and you and and you actually experienced the consequences firsthand having caught covid and luckily for you know for you it, it wasn't that bad it was just a few days of unpleasantness like it seems to me like the rational response at this point would be a little bit of frustration like a little bit of like your trust in the system slipping, your trust in, you know, the, yeah. the policymakers slipping and everything. Like that seems rational to me, or, or, or am I wrong there? I guess, um, and I mean, you know, people obviously, have, there's people have died because of COVID and all that, but like, but none of it's been, and, and then so that's, you know, that's sad, but none of this has been that big of a deal to me. Like I, I and the sickness was, not that big of a deal. Like it was a three day thing. I'm a big baby when I get sick. So, uh, that might be, I wonder anyway. Um, I am, I am as frustrated with how we've handled things as I was sick and as I care about COVID and I just don't really, I just don't really care <laughs> like about it. And maybe that apathy is a little bit dangerous. I could see making that case, but like, I, I'm like, I'm not in a position, and nor and nor am I going to work toward a position to, like, invoke 
policy change at like my school or my local government or my whatever and so they're gonna tell me what to, if they're gonna tell me you have to go get that mat you have to wear a mask to teach tomorrow i'm just gonna go like i i dislike the cloth on my face a little bit and so my annoyance with it is a little bit annoyed um i like getting my you know twillery performance blazer shipped to me within five days when it takes 15 days I'm a little bit annoyed by that. Um, yeah. all, all of it's like a, a, I'm a little bit annoyed that the service industry sucks a, a little bit more. Um, How annoyed are you that all of your savings are worth approaching 10% less than uh, a year ago? Yeah, well, are you just are you reg- like inflation and the enormous costs of everything going up? I guess that... that... Yeah, I mean, inflation has been above six percent for a few months and above five percent for about twice as long um and is continuing to rise and that you know inflation doesn't just affect the cost the price tags of things you buy it affects all the money you have saved up like your money that you've kept is actually worth less so i I guess i should be angry i guess if we're all taking yeah i don't know i mean that's significant and like i mean i i get your point you know you're the personal effects to you are, aren't that great. And, you know, I can say the same. The personal effects to me haven't, haven't been that great. They've been even less because I've been just so disagreeable about it. Like, I just didn't obey any of the rules anyway. Um, but I think that still had to be a little bit of a cost. You had to go through some mental energy sure, and, like, sure, some yeah. confrontations in publics and stuff. Like, you, you had <laughs> yeah. to – you probably paid more of a cost than I did. I mean, o- perhaps, overall, yeah, right? Per, per, like. Perhaps, perhaps so, and, and I had more job difficulty. It's taken up um, more of your mental, like your yeah. It's taken up more room in your head in some ways, or almost right. certainly, you know, right. like it, it's aggravated you this whole thing. It, it has aggravated me, and that's why you know that I think that's maybe the the difference in our in our our positions. And I don't I don't know which one of us is you know has the more appropriate perspective. Um, well, I think yours is more uh, uh, admirable in that you have some conviction in it, <laughs> and, and and I and you're you're kind of saying, Daniel, come on, have some conviction, be a, be a little angry with me, and I'm just like, I don't know, man. <laughs> kind of, <laughs> like, but but like, so all right, let me let, let me do you the same favor. Like yours is very pragmatic, right? Like you're you're discarding all of the noise and hoopla, and you're just focusing on what allows you to have you know, the the day to day that's most like it was before, and so. Yeah. You know that there's something good about that too, and so, like I, both of them are certainly viable ways to live. And actually, I think it's kind of it's it's kind of funny because it's almost a flip flop of what I would expect from from you and I. But yeah, I'll, a little I'll ta- bit. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you the reason why. the The reason why my perspective is the way it is because I, maybe it's just because like I'm extrapolating to to the broader population. I, you know, when I see stuff like the the attempt at mandated vaccines and mandate, you know, mandatory masking and, you know, firing people and vaccine passport. Like to me, all of this just seems like horrible policy, horrible policy that infringes on civil liberties and freedoms. And, and as we've seen has little to no health benefit. So to, to me, it seems like gigantic waving red flag, like, you know, people people grasping for power and control without even the benefit of being able to say we accomplished something. So that's that's what concerns me. And so, um, like, I, th- I think that's why it's it's so difficult for me to just narrow in and focus on just my circumstances because 
you know, very easily, very easily with one executive order or one you know decision by the the Supreme Court or whatever, you know that could shift. It could shift so that if you want to go to a grocery store or if you want to, you know, ha- you know, go to the emergency. You know, there are people who say that if you're unvaccinated, you know, you shouldn't be able to go to the emergency room anymore. Like you should be, you know. People who are vaccinated yeah. should have priority over you um, <coughs> because you did that, which is totally mind-blowing considering the effectiveness of the vaccines at preventing transmission, which is to say almost zero. Yeah, I like ideologically, I guess I find myself in agreement with you about like violations of freedom and all of that, and I'm sympathetic to all of that. And I guess why I don't get heated or I don't get to that next level is or, or want to like get out and i don't know uh pick it or something um it it's like like causing me telling me to wear a mask annoys me a little bit uh and even like go get a vaccine and like like all of it's like a little annoying and so that's about how strongly i feel about it and so so in principle, it's violent. It's like forcing you to do these things, and I hear you. I hear the arguments. I intellectually understand them. I just, it, it doesn't. It's hard for me to get. I, I can't imagine. Let's just say, and perhaps this is the point. But if the government wants to get one thing done and, and tell people, you listen, go do this. Uh, perhaps they should just never. That the point is that they should never be able to do that. I suppose. Uh, I'm just trying to think of like if you had a we need to do this as a society and make it as simple as possible and like this is actually a good social experiment like so it was like wear a mask was what they decided uh everyone just just wear a mask and like getting the enormous pushback I'm kind of I sit back and I go good I'm glad there's like tons of people pushing back like crazy like like I'm glad I really am and I also just am like like I'm gonna wear the mask for a little bit. Uh, if they got, if now if someone got in my face, or if it like came down to like, like vote on this proposition of whether we can mandate it and throw them in jail or whatever, whatever enforcements they want, like I'm not gonna vote that direction or whatever. I'm just like, if you ask me to wear a mask for a little bit, like, or if my job says you need to do that, that's just what the direction we're headed. We're not debating it. I don't feel uh, fundamentally riled up. I just, I just feel like. Yeah. Well, and so perhaps that's my error in thinking because like, oh, well, now I've this slippery slope, right? Like this really could get worse. Now they're like, should anyone well, be allowed to tell anyone what to do kind of thing? So two, two comments on that. So uh, on the scale of annoyance, like I'm kind of I'm kind of with I'm kind of with you on ma- the masking. Like I think mask, I think it's stupid. I never thought that it it was worthwhile. Are um, you, though? Because it seemed like you were like extraordinarily against it you're willing to engage in some immense social pressure against it against the tide of like immense social well, pressure well, for yeah, it. I, I was because it because it was so trivial and because it was so stupid that's why uh you know i was i was willing to not do it because i knew that no one was really being endangered by my by my not doing it but but at the end of the day it was a you know a piece of cloth that you put over your ears and you could go get you know, a sock or something and make a homemade mask. And <laughs> yeah. like, I, I understand the components of a mask. And if I want to no longer uh, endure the mask, all I have to do is take it off and throw it away. And now I've, now I'm not wearing a mask anymore. It's a reversible t- thing. You know, you put it on, take it off. Now the mask is gone. 
You can't determine that someone was previously masked. It's a piece of clothing, essentially. So that's pretty low on the scale of annoyance. Even though yeah. it annoyed me significantly, it's pretty low. The vaccine is a whole other category. That's a totally different ballpark, right? Because now we're not just talking about a piece of cloth you put in front of your mouth. Now we're talking about a substance, a novel substance, by the way, injected into your bloodstream that can never be gotten out again. And we also don't know what's going to happen with it. And we covered some of this the last time we talked about it. But like on the scale of annoyance, like when it comes to what, you know, if you're going to force me to do something, okay, if you're going to force me to wipe my feet before I come into the house. All right, maybe that's a little annoying, but I do it and now it's over. Oh, you're going to force me to wear a mask while I fly on a plane. Well, that's more annoying, but as soon as I get off the plane, I can take the mask off and it's over. Right. Okay, well, now you're going to force me to inject the substance and I won't get into all of the, you know, all the shady connections and uh, the chemical components and all of that. But there's a lot of additional stuff to consider when it comes to that. And you can't remove it. You can't just take it off. You can't become unvaccinated. Well, well, technically, now you can since the definition of vaccinated <laughs> yeah. continues to change. But you can't get it out of your system again. And so when it comes to mandating that, that's mandating something irreversible. And that's that's a whole other ballpark. And so that's when it crosses the line to me. Like That's when it crosses the line and when, you know, that's when it, it seems justifiable for people to start getting more riled up and more angry. Well, I, you know, I, I guess I, I agree with you that the clear delineation between wearing a mask and having to get the vaccine and like the idea of having to get, it's just more like, I'm glad they developed a, a vaccine. Let's, let's, uh, and then I'm glad it was made available to me. Like I, I didn't feel forced, but I also, you know, like you've said before, too, vaccines are, are contingent upon uh, the adoption of the vaccine. Or, you know, everyone doing it, right? Like, otherwise, like, who like it doesn't work that way. You have to have the vast generally, majority, if, generally. If, if it stops transmission, then that then it hinges on widespread adoption. But <laughs> but since this one doesn't stop transmission, it doesn't adoption doesn't matter. So and that's and all the defeated. and the different variants and yeah, I've I've wondered anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. I think forcing anyone to inject anything into them is a uh, not really a moral thing to do. Um, right. So how do yeah, you? I mean, wait, go ahead. Uh, what do you think about the uh, about colleges who have required these sorts of you know measles, mumps, whatever? Is it MMR rubella? I don't know, yeah, uh, but stuff that like that that have kind of always. What do you think about that argument that says, "Well, we've done this sort of thing for a while now"? It's not uh, a it's 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 not a it's not a solid argument because those vaccines are time tested. Uh, they've gone through extensive trials, year you know years to decades of um, of testing. You know you can see that there aren't any long term effects. It works by a different mechanism. The mechanism for those vaccines is weakened virus um you know, it's weakened parts or desiccated um, viruses and you inject that and your immune system responds to that entire weakened virus particle fine the covid vaccines don't work that way it's a totally different technology mrna um, vaccines which i'm sure you know everyone has been talking about but they work by a totally different mechanism and 
they have not been te- they were they were on- I think they only even started coming up with the technology in the early 2000s I think might have been the late 90s or early 2000s and it was used mostly in gene therapy techniques that's that's the area where it, it originated and this is the first time they've been applied in a vaccine certainly in a vaccine this widespread so it's brand new it's brand spanking new and no one zero people know the long-term effects and that's concerning and to have it mandated by colleges or or anything else is i think inappropriate so there's a huge distinction if people try to make the argument that oh yeah chicken pox mmr you know hepatitis whatever we have all the, we have vaccines and and that's the thing i'm not i'm not against all vaccines i think some vaccines are fine i think vaccines are really cool scientifically um and technologically i even think the covid vaccines are really cool technologically but i don't think you know, i don't think such a brand new technology should be applied the way it was as widespread as it was because anytime we develop new technology there are unintended consequences you test consequences. it right yeah well there are unintended consequences and you know even we're talking about vr <coughs> you know the motion sickness and the inevitable leading kids down the path to violence like all of these consequences that are going to happen like <laughs> you just can't you can't predict them and so it requires a long a long testing time period and 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 you don't require that of the entire population like that's just that's just stupid especially when again to re- to reiterate the purpose of the vac- of a vaccine of a vaccine program is to eventually minimize or eliminate the disease because people can't catch or transmit it because they've been vaccinated but with covid as we've seen thus far that doesn't work. If you're vaccinated, you can still catch COVID. You can still transmit COVID. You can still experience the side effects of COVID. So the vaccine is totally pointless other than as, as they purport, it, they purport to minimize the symptoms, the severity of the symptoms. Um, and I, be, I have believed that. I believed they've said that for, you know, a year now, and I've believed it and the data seem to suggest it, but at this point, they've lied so much and obfuscated the numbers so much that it's really hard to believe anything that they say. When uh, when people get the flu shot, is the flu shot a vaccine? Yes. <laughs> it's So you're right that vaccines, I thought, were sort of to eliminate the measles and the mumps and that sort of thing, but we're not eliminating the flu. Um, no, the, the flu is a rapidly mutating um it, it, influenza and it, it has rapid mutations and so the flu shot every year is a their best guess right yes yeah. they're a combination of their best guess of the most widespread strains and that's why its effectiveness is not very high but it does prevent you i believe it it prevents it prevents you from catching or transmitting the whatever strains you know it protects you against i think um but it doesn't eliminate, you know, it doesn't eliminate the flu. That's an, basically an impossibility because it mutates so quickly. It's my is, understanding anyway. Is that where we're at with COVID? Yeah, that's what they're saying now. And that's what I've kind of said from the beginning is that, you know, it's going to get to a point where it's basically the flu. Um, everyone's going to catch it and it'll probably be seasonal. I think that's probably where we're at. And thankfully, like now... This variant, you know, as we both experienced, is pretty mild. You know, if I caught it once every five years, that's livable, you know. What, um, is it because this variant is milder, is it reasonable to assume that, like, we're trending milder 
or is there I, I just don't know enough about like or is it just kind of a random mutation you could get some crazy variant you could get a light one and it just sort of is all over the place well uh, mutation is by its nature ran- random but not all uh, mutations can survive so for a virus to survive it has to both it has to be transmissible um, and still has to be able to replicate which I guess those are kind of one in the same but gener- generally the path for viruses is that they they mutate to become more transmissible and less deadly um, and that seems to be the path that COVID is taking as well so um, I would expect you know if I had to predict um, then you know it'll if, if it mutates again and I guess it will um, it'll be you know s- similarly transmissible or more transmissible um, strains, but but equally mild or less mild. Does, now they say you know you, you it's certainly possible. It's theoretically possible that a more deadly variant emerges even afterwards, but it would it would go against the typical path of viral muta- mutation, as far as I understand. Will they continue? I mean, you know, they name hurricanes, and they seem to be. Are they going to name? <laughs> I hope not. COVID? I hope not. I hope they don't. That's, well, I think it's really they don't silly. name the flu anymore. But like, there was the Delta variant and the Omicron. Like, what? Also, it, if if it was COVID nineteen, right? People have kind of dropped COVID nineteen. We just say COVID, but it was COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen, COVID nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, was was the Delta variant COVID twenty? What happened to COVID twenty? Was the sequel COVID twenty one? The Delta variant would be COVID twenty, and then the no, Omicron variant is COVID twenty one. That's my that's nah. my thinking. Well. Maybe you should Daniel does science. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd vote for you. I'd vote for you over who we've got already. Honestly, I would. I would rather have someone who just doesn't know how it works and is willing to to listen and and use their intuition on making value judgments than the people we have who are obviously obviously have um have ulterior motives. Uh, so, <laughs> what do you think the big is it just as simple as uh, power grabs and uh, this we think this could be like uh, a winning political proposition like really what do you think is so it as time as is as old as time it's just like I can get power let's see what I can do um, I think well partially but I, th- I think there's some nuances to it so when when this um, started you know the year was 2020 we were the United States was approaching an election year. Um, and it was very convenient to have a gigantic event screw things up, right? Because the way things were trending, it was looking like uh, Donald Trump was going to get reelected. The economy was really good, um, and uh, just, there, it, it looked like he was going to get reelected. It was very beneficial for his opponents to make it a crisis and blame it on him. That was very convenient, very politically convenient. And then there's the additional component, too, and this is what I've been saying all along. There were the supposedly non-political people like our, um, our CDC and other health organizations. And when, when the virus did start to spread, they, um, yeah, I, I think they knew, I, I think they knew right from the start that there was basically nothing they could do to, to stop it. Um, they, but their they job, they exist to do something. Yes, right. We have entire organizations 
devoted to public health. And so, so if they being, just said, you know what, there's nothing we can do, like that, yeah, well, why, why do we have you? <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? exactly. It would be an it would be an outrage, and the rational response would be, why are we paying you? Why are we paying for this? billion dollar organization all of our tax dollars over the years going to this organization that can't do anything what's the point and that's a good question but they felt like they had to justify their positions and and they also probably had a well-intentioned desire to prevent panic right sure so, i really yeah yeah no and, doubt and, right and, and i think that was the largest part of it they wanted to prevent panic and so they said okay if you want to be safe if you want safety then you know, wear a mask. Of course, they said this after saying initially, you don't, you don't have to wear a mask. But that aside, that was what they stuck on. Eventually, they stuck on social distancing, six feet. That was pulled totally out of their butt. There's no study about six feet. That's just whatever. Social distancing, six feet, wear a mask, and that's what they stuck with. Um, and if you do that, then you'll be safe. And all of the I mean, think about how many neurotic people we have in our society. And those people need something to grab onto. They don't want to feel helpless. They don't want to right. feel like there's nothing they can do. And so that's what they, that was, the, that was the strategic move they made to try to prevent panic. And, you know, you can argue maybe, that maybe they succeeded, but in my opinion, they just made things w worse. I mean, the, earlier you asked, um, you mentioned like, um, uh, you know, what what can or what should the people in power do to oh, oh, when a society when when a society needs to make something happen when as a society we say we need to do this and and they decided we're going to make everyone wear a mask well my yeah. my my feeling is if you want to make society do something then you convince them to do it you say here here's the reason why i want you to do this here's how it works you you're transparent transparency is what allows a society to make reasonable decisions because if you have a reasonable choice and there's clearly there's a that's better than b and you present that choice to society then the majority of reasonable people will choose a over b but of course that's not what happened here there it was the anti-transparency it was cover up information will tell you that a is better than b and you should do it there was no decision involved it was we'll tell you what you should do and that's the problem with most of most of how we've handled um, COVID. Well, opinion. it's also a problem with how politics runs in general because, <clears throat> I mean, I would think that there's a lot of complicated policy and people are having their best guesses at what's going to work best. Um, and so no politician gets up there and says, I lean toward policy A, but it's really complicated and I might be wrong. They just say policy A is best. This is the direction we're going and I'm right. And then we, and if you tend to inherently or intuitively agree, you go, yeah, that's my person. They understand. Um, and so, that's so I know dumb. it's a little bit different than what you're saying, but one of the assumptions you were saying is that there is a clear path. Like there's a clear path for assuming there's a right decision to be made. Let me make the argument for it and the public will see it. And that is correct. I think in this situation, COVID happened and there frankly wasn't <clears throat> like they had decided, and this was sort of baked in, we're going to do something. Which maybe that's not that's the problem. What should have happened, but they like we're no, going to do something. That's exactly then the problem. They the real said, feedback was like, well, maybe there's not much we can do. And they said, well, we're doing something. What sounds reason? Like not just what sounds reasonable. What would be kind of convincing as a, like it does sound convincing. Hey, this stuff 
kind of as like airborne whatever like let's make stuff less airborne and keep far apart and like okay th- this is our plan and so you well, say actually, six feet because it needs actually, to be concrete and well, that's actually you know. the problem is that when it's airborne when it's airborne is exactly when masks and six feet of distance do nothing Air, airborne means that the particles are so small they're not droplets like that they were saying at the beginning they're embedded in droplets airborne means that the that the particles are so small that your mask isn't going to do anything and that any air current in the room or space that you're in is going to essentially disperse these particles f- certainly further than six feet they're going to spread out yeah. plenty and so airborne is exactly the wrong way to phrase it and, and that's the thing like they should have said look this is new this is a novel coronavirus we don't know yet how it works although i have my doubts since it was likely manufactured but that aside you know the good intention people could have said you know we don't know how this works in the past with other transmissible diseases these have been things that can be effective um so you know please be safe do your best to be safe we're gonna we're gonna do our job and research it and figure out what the best path to take is and i don't think they did that so do you think in this sort of democrat republican dichotomy we have that like history plays out favorably for one or do you think like you mean, media is it's so complicated now that like we'll just sort of get past it and not learn a damn thing <laughs> oh i don't know man uh i mean that's i don't know that's hard to say uh yeah i'm more confident with my uh yeah, I, I've been relatively correct with my COVID predictions, political predictions. That's not, <laughs> that's not, that's much more difficult to do. Um, so I, I think, although I will say that I, I think reasonable people who are generally not political, who are kind of in the middle, in, in the center, like you, you would have to be a fool not to have existed through this and just observed that one side is acting totally, totally crazy and trying to cram down ineffective and authoritarian, the worst combination, uh, measures on people. And and the other group of people has largely been saying, you know, we, we trust you to behave in the way that's best for you and, and your family. Like you have one side that's generally saying liberty and one side that's generally saying we're going to control you. And like... To me, it seems like even if you're not political, just looking at those two options, the, the choice between those is very simple. And, and I think that there, there's been a lot of backlash, and I think that that backlash will be hard to ignore. Like, you know, in, in the United States, the next election is at the end of this year. I don't see COVID hysteria dissipating before the end of the year. So I think that it will be a very good... Um, a very good indication of people's feelings on what's happened for the last couple of years. Yeah. So this one way or like the election will be a reaction to COVID and how it's been handled pretty much. I mean, yeah. Inevitably. Like I think that, I mean, obviously COVID is the biggest thing to happen to the world in, you know, in in the last two years, like unquestionably. Right. And unfortunately, like I don't, think it warrants all of the hoopla um, you know but i think but, you're right i think that that you'll see uh, whether uh like yeah 
you're gonna see it based on that. I mean, there's other, there's tons of other things to discuss like globally and politically, but like that, this will be a yeah. It will. This will be. Will a we referendum. okay with how this went or not? Kind of. Yeah. Moment. It will be a referendum on COVID on hand, the handling of COVID. Essentially, that's what will happen at the end of this year, and and hopefully, I I sincerely hope, regardless of your politics, that people can learn from what's happened and learn that maybe just taking taking a chill pill you know maybe not a vaccine but a chill pill would be <laughs> maybe we should better. mandate a chill pill we should everyone <laughs> take a chill pill jeez like just chill out a little bit i will bit not and... talk to you unless you take the pill the the red pill or the blue pill or whatever color the chill pill is you're <laughs> 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 oh, either on my team or you're against me you're an enemy. yeah chill, take the chill pill, pill are you anti-chill are you anti-chill anti- right now you're being anti-chill <laughs> Um, like people should yeah chill out i think firstly chill out like geez just calm down media sucks don't don't believe the media if you watch mainstream media at this point you're a fool um (laughs) that's left or right like geez it's the worst uh and big government is bad local government is good like that's the takeaway if you want to live in a um a state or a community that forces you to do whatever and fires people who are unvaccinated and whatever then move there move somewhere like that if you want to live in a free place that you know there's maybe a little more risk involved but you're the person who decides what risks you take move there like that sounds like an excellent system to me uh and like that that sounds like something that everyone would be able to get on board with right like because then then you can have whatever sort of environment you want. Just go there, um, instead of having you know top-heavy federal government cram down the same rules on on everyone. I'm with it. Bennett for president, 2024. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> our our huge podcast following will help me. Out. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've had a full, well-rounded podcast, and I don't, I don't think we need to tack on superpowers and drawbacks at the end yeah. of this one. We can just start. We can start the next one with. Um, I like it. Superpowers and drawbacks, and I think as a teaser, just as a teaser, for next time, superpowers and drawbacks, we're gonna do the most superpowered and drawbacked superpowers and drawbacks Ooh. at a level eight. Okay, we've not gone that far. Okay, I'm excited. <laughs> and so, I'll be interested to see how you arrived at eight instead of, say, nine or seven, you know? So. Well, yeah, I, can just <laughs> ima- yeah, I can just imagine that there's a more superpower superpower out there. So. But I think that's what we'll, that's what we'll do. So we'll, we'll tease that for next time. And if we can remember, <laughs> then that's what, we'll, that's what we'll start with. All right. Well... Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> when uh, it's, oh, the bye, end. bye again. Over. <laughs>